0: good evening everybody welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 103 and we are threatening yes indeed to get to the end of frodo and gandalf's conversation upon his awaking uh but don't worry i think we have some more ground to go back over tonight i think we're not quite done with the one slide we we barely finished last week um but uh, first, let me a couple quick announcements this week uh, just to, sort of procedural things uh, first my um, I, I have to sort of announce we 're going to be we 've already posted this and i 've updated people by email and stuff who are registered for the uh, webinar session. But uh, I have to cancel Mythgard Academy this week. So the second session of Sauron Defeated is not, I'm not going to be able to hold that tomorrow. I'm going to have to hold that next week. So I will be back for that next week, but I won't be able to do it tomorrow. I uh, discovered that I'm, so I'm traveling on Thursday. I'm going out to Indianapolis to give a talk and I am leaving a good deal. I I discovered over the weekend, I'm leaving a good deal earlier than I had originally thought I was. So I have to leave the house at like, 4.30 in the morning, so probably teaching until like 1am is the night before is not really wise. Uh, So I'm going to have to cancel that uh, because of my impending trip. Uh, But I'll be back for that next week, which means that this is my last broadcast of this week. There's going to be no Grifflet uh, this week either because I'll be in Indianapolis. Um, So... Uh, I will be back next week. Next week should have a full slate of regular broadcasts uh, and including an extra bonus uh, b- broadcast next week, which is Mythgard Movie Club, uh, who will be talking about the Camelot film uh, in uh, celebration of the end of the Mallory class. So uh, that's going to be on Thursday, the 30th at 830 p.m. So I'm looking forward to participating there with a bunch of other Signum faculty and the Mythgard Movie Club folks. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um the uh, uh, the, other, the second thing, so first was uh, n- uh, uh, no Mythgard Academy tomorrow. The second announcement, and this is kind of a, a, a general announcement. We've had a bunch of questions about this, so I wanted to kind of explain a little bit. Um, some of many of you won't even be aware that this was even an issue but for a long time for many years now we've been posting most of my broadcasts not only on YouTube and not only on our podcast feed but one of our other kind of publication avenues uh for all the stuff that I've been doing has been iTunes U uh and we've been we've been a big iTunes U user uh since way back near the beginning of iTunes U we have stopped um uh, doing that, we've stopped uploading to iTunes U. We are discontinuing the use uh, of iTunes U, um, and the primary reason for that is that the the support of iTunes U within Apple seems to be diminishing. Um, they just recently announced that they're no longer going to iTunes U is no longer going to be available on any non iOS uh, device, I believe. Um, so, meaning like the already comparatively small audience that was using iTunes U is now going to be cut down even further. Um, it seems to be kind of trailing off the iTunes U experiment, I think. Uh, So, and our uh, staff time Our you know, we have a a, a bunch of people who are uh, uh, very good and very faithful in, you know, editing and processing all the recordings of all of our broadcasts and posting them, posting them to multiple podcast feeds and to YouTube and, and, uh, you know, lots of other places. And, it's again kind of decreasing returns, uh, on the iTunes U feed. So we're, we are discontinuing that. So just to clarify that some people have been asking about that, you know, is it, is that stopping? The answer is yes. Yes. It's stopping. Cause again, it seems like Apple's kind of stopping that. So, um, just to clarify that, that is what is happening and that, that is why that is happening. Um, uh, so yeah, that's it now. Um, sorry okay i was i'm laughing because all of a sudden my uh keyboard seems to be locked in greek mode and i'm not quite sure when that happened okay here we go what possible keystroke combination that I hit to all of a sudden change my keyboard over to Greek. That has never happened to me in my life. So I was just attempting to type something and, uh, and all of a sudden that was Greek to me. So that was really funny. Um, okay. Woo. All right. It's just been that kind of day. Um, Anyway, yeah, Tony, I, the stuff on there uh, that's on iTunes, U, we we don't plan to take that down. If uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, if they like discontinue it, it might go away. Um, we're not gonna, you know, destroy it, but we're just we we're just not gonna. Um, we can't prioritize the time to carry on. Um, it's just like a whole, you know like yet another place to upload everything uh and again like in the old days it was worth it again especially when itunes u was sort of newer and it looked like it was going to be growing and so we were you know on the wave of that right and we were kind of hoping that that would grow and expand but um it um uh it didn't uh, it hasn't seemed to happen so anyway um that's the um uh, uh uh, that's the story okay um <laughs> you're right bruin here tolkien would have just rolled with the greek keyboard you're absolutely correct about that um <laughs> unfortunately my operating system doesn't understand greek so it wouldn't have been very helpful i was trying to start up a program so i could. I didn't have the twitch chat going so i was like oh wait i got i better get the, the twitch chat up and it was uh it was not having it anyhow um, th- oh, can I just share one last really uh, 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 kind of fun little family story before we start? Um, those of you with very long memories may recall. Well, so uh, you may remember a few years back I was getting, uh, those of you who followed me on Twitter may remember a few years back uh, I got a new car and I was doing a Twitter uh, 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 sort of, po- not a poll, but I was doing, uh, I did do a poll actually to try to to come up with a name for my new car the car that I was replacing is my old Toyota Corolla, which I bought back in 2004 when I moved to Delaware originally, um, uh, to start my first tenure track job. Um, and, uh, I picked out that car because my son Nicholas was one year old and he was, was riding in the car seat, commuting with me in the car seat in the back. So I'm like, I want a good safe car for, you know, my infant son to commute with me. Um, uh, he, uh, so to, uh, m- on Saturday, uh, my son Nicholas just turned 16 uh, and he is going, I am bequeathing him that same car that I bought the one I replaced with my new silver uh, 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 Honda Civic, which I named Idril. Um, uh, so he is, he, he has bequeathed that car 254,000 miles uh, and 15 years later, uh, that is going to be his first car. Uh, and of course, For those of you who don't, uh, uh, who don't remember, and I only mentioned this a long, long time ago, um, that car's name was very aptly named Bill because I was taking him, you know, I was commuting with him back and forth to work. I'm like, I need a good, sturdy, this, this is not a flashy car. You know, this is not, uh, uh, this is not anything special. I need a good, solid, dependable name. So I, I named it Bill and boy has that car lived up to that name. Um, uh, so anyway, so, so, so Bill, my old Corolla gets his, uh, gets his new owner, uh, uh, and, uh, it's gonna, it's, it's, uh, pretty, pretty cool. So that's a really sort of fun, fun moment. Of course, Nico still calls it Bill because when he grew up, like we always, we've, we've called, we, we, you know, we've called him Bill, uh, for literally as long as he can remember, uh, <laughs> Bill, the Toyota. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, yep. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping may he continue to trot along for years to come indeed, Sharon. Yeah. In fact, uh, I've got, he's, he's inspected and registered for 15 months now. So I hope he continues to trot for at least another 15 months. Uh, but, um, anyway, (laughs) Biotrom says, doesn't that put me in the place of bill Fernie? Uh, I'd like to think that I'm more like, you know, Sam giving Bill to one of his children, really. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not in the Bill Fernie position, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um... Okay. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to, that was uh, uh, a very fun thing happening in my household here. He's, uh, uh, my son is going for his road test tomorrow uh, to get his driver's license. So it's uh, big doings in the Olsen family uh, home here this week. All right. Let us go back to the text. So tonight we are going to get to our... Our first slide and the only slide which I'm 100% sure we're going to get to will be the end of Gandalf's conversation with Frodo. We only have the one slide left, but there is one moment in that slide, which I need your help with because I don't think I've ever understood it ever. Um, I was realizing that as I was looking through, I'm like, mm, yep, yeah, no, I have no idea what that's talking about. So uh, let's, uh, uh, well, we'll see if you guys can help me with that. But before we get there, we have a couple other things to go, uh, to go over we talked about like two things in class last time, right and we need to go over both of them again apparently uh, lots of discuss- men there there were like four or five posts on the questions for Narni and discussion board about boulders right we clearly we need to talk about the boulders more uh, so we're gonna we're totally gonna do that so uh, but first actually uh, marielle uh, had this and marielle. So reliable for her thoughtful posts um, for, you know, for uh, and has been for years. Really thankful for this, Mariel. I think uh, you have given me a reading. I can totally get behind here. Um, Mariel says, uh, instead of Gore, so we're talking about how did the what drove the horses mad? Instead of Gore I propose a separate uh, cause of the madness drawn from one of the professor's favorite lines of Tolkien prose. In The Return of the King, we will read... From all his policies and webs of fear and treachery, from all his stratagems and wars, Sauron's mind shook free, and throughout his realm a tremor ran. His slaves quailed, and his armies halted, and his captains, suddenly, steerless, bereft of will, wavered and despaired, for they were forgotten. Truly, one of my favorite sentences uh, in The Lord of the Rings if the horses captives from rohan broken in service to the nine are driven entirely or in large part by the will of their riders then the distraction of the nazgul by the fire river and wrathful elf lord might very well make the mounts steerless bereft of will and despairing that perhaps is the madness which drives them into the raging waters I love this theory. Love it. And Forth Thoughtless, I saw your note there. Uh, Forth Thoughtless was saying that he had proposed uh, this or something very like this uh, during class last time. I'm sorry. I missed it. Forth Thoughtless. So, it's easy to... I can't always read everything as it rolls by. Um, so sorry for missing that. But I... I, I and, and Tony, you were thinking this too? Fantastic. Yes. I think this is great. Um, so... This connects, of course, with a bunch of the things that we were saying about the horses. I should say I skipped uh, the first half of Marielle's post in which she was uh, articulating very clearly um, many of the reasons, you know, sort of the justifications for being uneasy, as we were saying last time about Gorfindel simply driving the horses in. one of the things that she was saying, of course, is that to say yeah, killing the horses on purpose is worth it. Be, you know, it's like a a, a worthwhile sacrifice. I mean, yes, you've got to kill the nine horses, but, you know, you get the ring rays with them, so it's worth it. And she was saying that that's uncomfortable and should be uncomfortable because that's the kind of, you know, the ends justify the means thinking, which the text so often counsels us against taking, right? I mean, that, that kind of thinking is, and I agree, uh, you know, generally... Um, uh, generally taught against, uh, in the text. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I I think that, that, that seems to me right. Um, again, now this doesn't mean that that doesn't prove that Glorfindel hasn't done it. Right. Um, I mean, Glorfindel might, might here be guilty of something, which, uh, although nobody would like to hear the idea of Glorfindel being guilty of something, again, you can't rule it out. Absolutely. However, this reading feels to me much more satisfying, right? Um, and what it comes down to, of course, is just thinking again through the relationship between the riders and the horses. A bunch of, you know, we were talking last time about the enslavement of the horses, right? And, you know, the extent to which the, the horses were active collaborators with the ringwraiths or to, and, or you know, and of course they've been raised and they know no better, right? But thinking of the horses as slaves and as victims uh, of the Nazgul in some way, And that seems to me, um, uh, that seems to me to make, uh, to make perfect sense. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the question really is what is the bond between the Nazgul and the horses are the horses merely well-trained, right? You know, they've been raised with wraiths and so therefore they're not spooked and freaked out by the wraiths, and so they treat the wraiths as if the wraiths were normal riders. And then, so are we to imagine that the horses and the ring wraiths have the kind of relationship that horses have with normal mortal riders, right? Just because the, of the way and the place in which they were raised, or do we imagine this working somewhat differently? And I have to say, I tend to doubt. That I've said before, I'm not a horse person. I know very little about horses, but I, I am not myself a horse person. But I know I, I know people who are right. I've spent enough time with with uh, with Trish, with Tolkien Maven, and also my my sister is a big horse person as well. Like I know enough horse people to know how those relationships between horse and rider develop and everything. And it's hard for me to imagine the kind of relationship that a rider and a horse would normally build um, that a a Nazgul being involved in that or the training regimen in Mordor being of this sort right now Jacques I don't think necessarily that they're relatively recently stolen from Rohan we know that black horses are stolen from Rohan I had always assumed though it's perhaps just an assumption on my part that the black horses stolen from Rohan are used for breeding stock Um, so that horses can be raised from foals in Mordor and trained from the very beginning. Um, so I would think it would be much more difficult, but you know, if what is happening here is not training so much as domination, right? Um, if if we think about the kind of, I was going to say positive, but that's too vague a word, uh, the kind of constructive, the kind of collaborative relationship, right? That, that can subsist between horse and rider um again that's what i can't imagine mourning mordor training regimens uh uh encouraging right um you'd think i would think that the the horse training habits in mordor are much more about enslaving the will of the horse to the riders um uh Yeah. And so, Tony, you're right. This reading does relieve the horses of any culpability in their service to Mordor. Um, And it does seem to me that the thing that I like about it is exactly, Tony, what you say there at the end, uh, that it it, it seems to fit better with the nature of Sauron's power. Again, I cannot imagine. uh, Can you imagine the Nazgul like... Coaxing the horses with carrots and apples and like winning their confidence right like can you imagine them coming up to horses and being like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay a blanket across your back to get you used to the idea of a saddle like no, they're not gonna act like that right That's just not how it would happen um so the idea of either the ring raids directly like you know whatever just like laying a whammy on the minds of the horses and being like, you are my slave and shall do my bidding like that makes much more sense to me um it fits better with the whole spirit of mordor, right so that's there therefore, why I really like this reading, because if we think that way, right um if we think that. The horses are, in fact, enslaved, like their wills are enslaved to the wills of their masters in ways in which which go way beyond, which are, in fact, a perversion of the normal horse and rider relationship, which, again, seems to me to fit very well into the whole spirit um, uh, spirit of Mordor thing. If the horses' wills are enslaved, indeed, um, to their riders, then there could come a moment when they were released from that enslavement. And I would think that a horse whose mind and will had been enslaved uh, to uh, the to an alien will like this, if suddenly released, would freak out. Especially if it happened on the edge of a river where a flood was coming down and where boulders, either spiritual or corporeal, were grinding and rolling uh, right along in front of them. I mean, they're going to be stricken with madness, that seemed. Even if even if the agent of the striking them with madness is not Glorfindel, um, indirectly it would be, right? Because the Nazgul's, the the grip of the Nazgul on their minds would be broken under the circumstances, right? Um, uh, in the Nazgul's terror, as Glorfindel comes up. Um, so I think that that um, makes a lot of sense. Now, Gallandar, you're right. It's not like, he couldn't anticipate that the horses are going to be driven mad. Um, I mean, there's no question the riders have to go into the Ford, right? On the one hand, like, I don't know. I don't think I can't imagine any way. Like, I, I don't know what else he could have done, right? I don't think the horses are savable here. Um, I mean, he'd have to find a way to dismount them uh, from the horses, get the horses to run the other way and still somehow propel the Nazgul into the stream in a very short period of time, that seems like a lot to ask. Right? Um, But it does seem to me to um, change the situation. If If he comes up and he deliberately sort of psychically pushes the horses into the river, that seems to me fundamentally different from he comes up and uh, messes with the Nazgul, right? He is attacking the Nazgul themselves. And as a result of that attack, the horses go mad and run into the river. Um, that just, the result is the same. And you could say the result is inevitably the same and that he would have anticipated that result. And so therefore, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, can't be, um, exculpated completely from the death of the horses. And yet it does seem to me to feel, uh, pretty different. I would have to say, um, Yeah, yeah. Fourth Dauntless points out that Gorfindel's plan explicitly requires that he be able to deal with any Nazgul left on the near bank. Yes, Gandalf mentions that. He knew that he would have to deal with any who didn't get washed away in the stream. Maybe he had a plan to assault the Nine when they're boxed in at the Ford, but he didn't need it because the horses bolted. Yes, it's quite possible that what he does when he reveals himself in his wrath was step one, right? He was he was just planning to attack the Nazgul, where they were even though he is at a disadvantage in some ways because he's outnumbered and dismounted, but he's Gorefindel, right? So that counterbalances it. Um, but again, he doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't have to implement stage two of his Nazgul assault plan because the horses do carry them away. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, okay, good. Um, Yeah, good. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> we have we have digressed into a discussion about orcs and wargs here somehow. Hang, hang on, I have a hard enough time keeping up with uh, uh, with comments. Uh, that sounds like a discussion best probably taken to the discussion board because I can't certainly can't follow that. Um, anyway, okay. So, like I said, I I love this theory. Um, this seems to me to work. It seems to me to work in a lot of ways. It fits the facts that were given in the text, right? The horses being driven, stricken with madness and doing what they do. Um, it ascribes to Glorfindel what seems to me uh, a much more acceptable level of culpability. I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's completely exculpated here, like again, like at the very least, the horses are collateral damage, and you know I think he's got to own that. Um, but still, there's only so much. And 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 this again, if we think about the, the the Dominion thing and the effect of the horses on the on the breaking of the power of the Nazgul over them, I'm not sure those horses were salvageable. Had the horses escaped? Had they not drowned? Those horses, what would happen to them? I mean, would they have been maddened permanently? I mean, you've got to think that those horses have been permanently messed up um, by the kind of spiritual damage that has been done to them by the Nazgul for who knows how long. Most of their lives, probably all of their lives, conceivably. Um, so, yeah, I. I, I uh, it. That one element seems to me the key, which for me changes the whole analysis of um this business with the horses at the ford assuming that the nazgul did exert that kind of dominion over their horses then i think even killing them the horses then seems to me to become more of a more of an act of mercy uh at that point um Or at least, again, an an argument is easier to make uh, in that way that that, you know, those that that even if he is culpable for the death of the horses, he was euthanizing the horses rather than uh, uh, merely uh, destroying them as a means to an end. Um, And that one key element, that element of the dominion of the minds of the horses by the uh, by the riders not only does it make very good sense with the spirit of Mordor and of Sauron and his creatures, but it also seems to me to fit the way that the Nazgul's horses are... Like, when Aragorn talks about the horses, right? Thinking back to that discussion in Weathertop, right or after Weathertop, um, when he's explaining about how the horses can see, it um leads me to think that... Or rather, it, I can't help but think back to the fact that that statement makes it sound like the senses of the horses are more of a, uh, like a direct extension um, of those of the Nazgul. And remember at the time, and especially, of course, when we were talking about uh, the crying out of the Nazgul when they crossed the road, um, one of the things that was troubling me there especially again with the road crossing which we talked about for a long time was the question of communication and what i was objecting to is the image of the nazgul and the horses having a really positive relationship this is one of the reasons why i was resistant to the idea that the horses were like alerting the nazgul to the fact that they saw uh uh people Crossing the people and another horse crossing the road, um, not because I didn't think that the horses could do it or would do it, but because I didn't, I couldn't imagine that kind of positive, constructive relationship. Uh, you know that that close horse and rider bond between the Nazgul and the horses. But if the bond is not that positive bond, but instead a warped, evil, dominating version of that bond, then yeah, it makes. Um, a lot more sense exactly mad violinist if they're dominating the horses they can make use of their senses much more directly than we were thinking before um so that yes that uh, to me that really changes matters not only here but earlier i think as well um uh yeah yeah um yeah good um and Tony, you're right. We don't see any evidence that they have spare mounts there. It, it does seem likely that there was a, a personal connection, but again, not the like normal kind of positive connection. Right. Um, uh, quite likely back to one of, uh, uh, of, of dominance. <laughs> Mad violinist says quick back to chapter 11 to reevaluate everything in the light of this new concept. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yes, fourth Thoughtless, you're right. We should keep this in mind when we consider the Winged Mounts later on. Again, it just, it it makes so much sense in every respect, right? I mean, do we ever see a, like, positive, sort of normal, constructive uh, relationship based on trust between any of the servants of Sauron? right i mean we don't see it between orcs we don't see it between orcs and their and their orcish masters we don't see it between the orcish masters and the people who rule over them um we don't i mean nowhere nowhere do we see it no reason to think we have therefore no reason to think that the nazgul and their horses have a positive bond um uh well, mad violinist! Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you do see it always what appears to be that briefly between Shagrat and Gorebag, but of course they're the ones who are, uh, you know. We also see Shagrat stabbing Gorebag for fun and licking his blood off his knife later on, so it only goes so far, right? Um, but um, anyway, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, um, we'll definitely think about that. And Jacques, yes, good. Jacques is remembering um, the. Uh, the business about uh, not wanting to sell horses uh, because he puts beasts to evil use. Um, And that phrase is kind of particularly interesting, right? When we think about it in this kind of context, Um, not just in the sense that they become instruments of an evil purpose, right? Um, They will further plans to do evil things right it's not it's, it's it's possible to take that line in only that way right but if instead you take it as he does evil things to beasts, like the use to which he is, is an evil use it is evil in its nature not only in its ends right but in its nature it is evil um yeah yeah um yeah good um Good. Okay. Um, hmm. Kyle Winiek is asking, do we think Morgoth and Sauron had a somewhat positive bond? No, I don't think so. Um, No, even that line about Sauron serving was being less evil, evil because he, you know, served another instead of only himself. That does not say much doesn't say that they were affectionate right it doesn't say that they had a constructive relationship only that in as much as serving someone else in humility even for a bad reason is better than being like i am the god and lord of the entire earth right that's into that extent sauron was less evil than morgoth was briefly right um so even that i think is is a very uh mild praise of Sauron's virtue there. Um, But anyway, yeah, exactly. Tony tune into some film for that. We spent a lot of time talking about that there. Okay. Uh, so thanks Mario for that. That was really illuminating. And again, sorry for those of you who are saying some more things last week that I didn't see. Um, okay. All right. We got to talk about the boulders because everybody wants to keep talking about the boulders. Um, The thing I want to jump back to, and thanks to Matt uh, DeForest for um, um, uh, for reminding us of the earlier description. So here, see Mad Violinist. We are revisiting Chapter Eleven of Book One. Um, Here is uh, so I'm just quoting as Matt quoted in his post um, the description what Frodo sees live. Right, before the conversation with Gandalf, right, as it's happening at the end of the flight to the fort. At that moment there came a roaring and a rushing, a noise of loud waters rolling many stones. Dimly Frodo saw the river below him rise, and down along its course there came a plumed cavalry of waves. White flames seemed to Frodo to flicker on their crests, and he half fancied that he saw amid the water white riders upon white horses with frothing manes. The three riders that were still in the midst of the Ford were overwhelmed. They disappeared, buried suddenly under angry foam. Those that were behind drew back in dismay. Okay. The boulders. (laughs) Sorry, Tarlonio. I try to take too long with this, but it is very sensible uh, to go back and kind of touch base with the, uh, with this description here. Um. A noise of loud waters rolling many stones is, of course, the most obviously relevant uh, passage here. Here's the trick. Here's the, the difficult thing for me. So the the fundamental question, which we were arguing about last time, is, are the boulders physical boulders or are the boulders spiritual boulders? Like, that is, are this Gandalf's magical enhancement of the flood things? Uh, was that is he describing the two different aspects of his spiritual enhancement, uh, the one of which was represented by white horses on with white riders and the other being represented by rolling and grinding boulders, both of which were a spiritual manifestation superimposed upon the flood by Gandalf uh, or augmenting the flood by Gandalf? Or is he saying first his spiritual augmentation being the horses and riders and then also describing a merely physical uh, addition that was made, which is the rolling and grinding boulders. Okay. Um, so I, the first sentence there, right. Seems to be directly relevant. Frodo hears a noise of loud waters rolling many stones. So there do appear to be physical stones rolling. Now, um, yeah, now, uh, uh, In green eyes, in the green. I'm not sure how to how to parse your name exactly there on Twitch. Um, Yeah. Or just a loud noise. Right. I mean, this is a description of the noise. Remember that the name of this river is loud water. Right. So that he hears loud waters. Right. Rolling many stones. It's called the loud water for a reason. Presumably there are also rocks there. Right. Um, I. Don't get me wrong. I have no objection to the real bold, to the idea that there really are boulders. The problem that I have is that that doesn't seem to match Gandalf's syntax. He brings up the boulders in the sentence in which he is describing what he did in the flood, how he augmented the flood. Um, It is possible that at the end of that description of the horses and riders, he then adds a completely tangential and unrelated observation that FYI, there also happened to be boulders, which had nothing to do with me. But that seems to me a strain, honestly, syntactically a strain. Um, We would have to imagine Gandalf failing rhetorically there, right? Um, if that's what, and and again, like it's possible, it's possible. Um, but I don't, um, it seems to me one way or another, the context of the sentence seems to me to make it fairly clear that Gandalf is taking credit for the boulders as he took credit for the horses and riders. That's why I had always leaned to the spiritual boulders, um, uh, argument or reading, because that fits better, I cannot see Gandalf physically chucking boulders into the river to have them rolled down. Um, yes, I can perfectly well believe there might be uh, uh, boulders rolling down with the flood in a perfectly normal and spontaneous way, uh, just because of the rushing of the water down this uh, down this mountain gorge. Yes, I can believe that that would happen naturally, but that's not what Gandalf says. Gandalf takes credit for the boulders. That's my sticking point. If it weren't for that fact, I'd be like, sure. Yeah. Boulders rolling down from the mountains. No worries at all. Um, but, uh, but again, that's not how it happens. He takes credit for the boulders. And since he's taking credit for the boulders, it seems to me more likely that the boulders he is describing are physical, are spiritual rather than physical. Um, and i don't think that that first sentence proves otherwise rolling many stones first i would point out that the word is stones here not boulders right uh many rolling and grinding boulders uh the grinding of boulders is different from the sound of loud waters rolling many stones i would think um uh but um uh Yeah, Exactly, Lincoln. What would be the point of mentioning the boulders in that context if he weren't taking credit for them? Agreed. It would be a mere non sequitur for him to be adding a piece of incidental description of what was happening, independent of his action, in the context of the sentence he raises it. Um, So, uh, yeah, Wheel Rider, I agree. Gandalf's magic does perform other physical actions. We have never seen Gandalf before hucking boulders with his magic. That's not a thing. It's starting a fire on Carothras is very different, uh, especially since we know that Gandalf's uh, magic has always been associated with fire. Um, again, I'm not saying it's impossible that Gandalf introduces real boulders or like does something magically in order to dislodge boulders, and encourage them therefore to roll down. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, again, those of you who are saying, I don't see any reason to doubt the presence of real boulders me neither. And again, my only question is based on why does Gandalf talk about them then? Why does he introduce them in the context of his sentence in which he's describing what he added to the flood? Um, and again, I don't, that it just, it just doesn't seem to me to fit. I don't know why he would do that. I don't know how he would have time to do that. I just, I just, it doesn't, that it doesn't feel right to me. I don't feel confident in that. Um, the idea that he's just that it's an incidental remark uh, and that this is Gandalf just like wandering and introducing a non sequitur is to me more satisfying than the idea that he was like somehow magically zapping boulders and dislodging them from the uh, uh from the bed of the stream. That does. I I I, that, I can't get behind that. I just can't. It doesn't seem to make to fit at all with Gandalf's magic and the kind of thing that Gandalf does. Um So I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy that, and I don't think I'm going to buy that. Um, Again, no objection to the presence of incidental boulders. That just doesn't seem to be what Gandalf is saying there. Um, So, now, Ambrosius Aurelianus, that I could conceivably get behind. Um, So, Ambrosius Aurelianus is, uh, is... Suggesting this, um, this reading that he added to the strength of the water and the natural result of the additional strength to the water was the dislodging of boulders, which were then rolled and grind, rolled grindingly down the river. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Again, Jacques. Again, I as, as I as I keep saying, I'm not trying to say that real boulders are implausible. I'm only saying that the way that Gandalf talks about them, it doesn't sound like that's what he's talking about. Um, Ambrosius Aurelianus's reading does satisfy one element of that. Right? If Gandalf is saying Elrond's role is to command the flood. Right? So, the the Flood happens because Gandalf commands it. Because of Gandalf's... Be, sorry, because Elrond commands it. Because of Elrond's authority. Right? Gandalf then, through his own will and his own power, augments the Flood. This augmentation takes a visible form which he thinks that Frodo might possibly have seen knowing, I believe, the spiritual state that Frodo was in at the time. And a couple of you were talking about this on the discussion boards, too, and I totally agree with that. That when he says you might not have noticed he's also by that implying you might it's possible that you did notice right but you were kind of out of it at the time so i'm not you know so i'm not sure whether or not you actually did but it was there to be seen and your eyes could certainly have seen it at that time there were horses and riders and of course the uh the original passage in the flight of the ford as we were looking at does in fact frodo does see that right he sees the white flames and he half fancies that he saw white riders upon white horses with frothing manes. Um, by the way, I totally understand why the Peter Jackson special effects team in the Lord of the Rings film actually had the foam of the river. Uh, I mean, that looked really cool. I really liked how that came out uh, in the Lord of the Rings film. I thought that was a fantastic visual effect. But that's obviously not what Frodo sees. Right. What he is seeing is he is seeing something with spiritual sight superimposed upon the flood waters. Right. The floodwaters themselves look like floodwaters. Um he is half fancying that he sees this amid the water, right? White riders upon white horses. Um so, um Yeah, yeah. Um Anyhow, um, <laughs> we need to know if Aragorn saw boulders. It's true. If we had more data, we could come to a really uh, yeah, like Merry and Pippin, right? Would be would would be a pretty good test case, right? Um, if we could, yeah. The others, exactly. If we if we did a, a survey among the others, excuse, did you or did you not perceive boulders uh, in uh, the flood when it came down? Then we'd know for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, Aurelius Ambrosianus, I'm thinking, uh, that your reading is the best compromise reading I can think of and it could explain, okay, so here's the other thing. And, and, and here, um, Cecilia, I'm coming back, uh, I'm coming back to your point. Um and I was saying something like this last time. I'm going to the end here. There we go. Here's here's the here's our passage from Gandalf. Again, if we look at the syntax, and again this is the point that Cecilia was just making. If I may say so, I added a few touches of my own. You may not have noticed, but some of the waves took the form of great white horses with shining white riders, and there were many rolling and grinding boulders. Now, the point that Cecilia is pointing out is that we have some kind of... You can see some ambivalence in the syntax here. On the one hand, he is clearly including the rolling and grinding boulders in the list of things that he... the, the few touches that he added. Right Few touches of my own colon, right, white horses with shining white riders, many rolling and grinding boulders, right. He's explicitly taking credit for both of those things, right Those are the touches that he added. however, as Cecilia points out, the syntax is not the same. He describes the wave the form of great white horses in shining with shining white riders a clearly sort of magical spiritual effect, right. Um and there were many rolling and grinding, but the there were is different. Like that sounds different. It sounds like it's it's in it's in a different case, right? Um so um exactly, so Harnuth, that's exactly the argument for the spiritual boulders, right? If we say I added spiritual touches to the flood, I added the force of my own power to this flood. And that took the form of of horses and of boulders, right? But um you could you can see there but they're there's they're they're not parallel. They both come after the colon, they're both explicitly the touches that he added, but there is a lack of parallelism between them, which could justify them uh, looking uh, them being different in some way, right? But um Ambrosius Aurelianus, this is where we come back to your point. For a moment, I was afraid that we had let loose too fierce a wrath, and the flood would get out of hand and wash you away. We, notice the we, we had let loose too fierce a wrath, right? So they, the two of them, Elrond commands the flood. Gandalf adds, he augments the flood, right, with his own power. And between the two of them, they have unleashed They have let loose a wrath, a fierce wrath. There is great vigor in the mountains that come down from the snows of the Misty Mountains. As if the wrath, of course, is itself the waters, right? The the river itself has wrath, right? Which is being unleashed by Elrond, commanded by Elrond and augmented by Gandalf. So, if... If the boulders could, I would, I would concede spiritual or physical boulders if the, the augmented wrath of the river, right, is such that it now is, instead of just dislodging smaller stones, like a, like a, a smaller flood would, like, again, it's, it's the, the connection to the next sentence, right? For a moment, I was afraid that we had let loose too fierce a wrath, right? Um, I think that that's, uh, to me, that works much much more right if we am, if and and it it makes sense of both things it makes sense of both the inclusion of the boulders and the touches that he added right and the non parallelism between the horses and riders and the boulders in his statement right um I don't see Gandalf zapping boulders I just don't that, I, D- D- Gandalf have do we see Gandalf ever? Perform an act of telekinesis, large or small, D- ever. I don't think we do. Do we? Am I forgetting an act of telekinesis we've seen Gandalf? His magic doesn't seem to work that way. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, um, um. I don't think that. Um, but, um, but. If he's merely describing that as a as a direct effect of the increased wrath of the stream, by itself, this the flood commanded by Elrond wouldn't have dislodged so many boulders. But since he augmented its wrath, then uh we would uh, uh we would see that. Yeah, he we've got the closing spell, Rinrus on the door, but that's different, right? And the shattering of the door, Gandalf doesn't blow up the door. The door shatters as a result of the conflicting wills of uh, Gandalf and the Balrog, as we'll see, you know, pretty soon. Um, Denethor's sword. Maybe. Maybe. And the breaking of Saruman's staff, I think, is definitely different. Um, Yeah, Sea Evil Doctor Canon, I'm thinking, like James Lebeck is thinking of, about Gimli's axe and Legolas's bow uh, and Aragorn's sword as well. Right. So, um, there's yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. I would accept Aurelius Ambrosius, Ambrosius Aurelianus reading. That seems to me to make a lot of sense. That would this seems like our one hope for a single reading, which will unify all of the threads here. Why Gandalf would make credit for it? Why those clauses would be non-parallel? Uh, and how it fits as a thing that Gandalf would do? Um. Yeah. Oh, it is much easier to call you Arthur, <laughs> definitely. As I know, that's what Ambrosius Aurelianus is a reference to. Uh, so sometimes when I, when I. Refer to you for, uh, uh, quickly. I I, I I do quite enjoy calling you Arthur for short. Um, but yeah, see, no, but Evil Doctor Canon, it's not a compromise exactly, you see. Um, what I was looking for was a reading which fits all of the evidence. And neither one, neither the spiritual, the purely spiritual boulders, nor the purely physical boulders incidental organically rolling down with the flood boulders to me satisfies uh uh uh, none of those i think really satisfy um there are totally unexplained bits uh arthur's reading there doesn't fail in that way um i to me it kind of checks all the boxes i think it fits with every um with everything even going back um a noise of loud waters rolling many stones notice the flood's not there yet right it's coming um and the idea that the loud water it's called the loud water remember um a- a rolling stones is like the beginning and when the full flood comes down it's going to be rolling boulders with it because its wrath has been uh augmented by gandalf here is um here's another thing I've been saying I'm I've, I've been discontented with the idea of Gandalf dislodging physical boulders because it's unlike his magic. Here's something that is like his magic. Remember what Gandalf mostly does? Yeah. Like fires and stuff. Sure. He does that, but that's one, one of the physical things that he does his primary magic, or at least the concept of his magic that is going to be developing as we're, as we were discussing a little while back Um, One of the patterns which is going to begin to emerge, which Tolkien is going to talk about in the essay on the Astari, is the encouragement of the spirits of people, right? The inspiration of people with positive desire and will to resist, right? That, it seems to me, is the magic that he is doing here, right? His, like, the superimposition of the horses and riders seems to me a kind of a direct thing, right? Um, he is like, that's his own will kind of riding with the flood, right? But, um. but there is a spirit here to be encouraged to build. Exactly, Carita. He encourages the water. That's exactly it. It's not the spirits of the boulders, evil Dr. Cannon. I think it's the spirit of the river. right? Again, back to the passage. There is great vigor in the waters that come down from the snows of the misty mountains. Right? Um, one thing to keep in mind. Tolkien... We've seen this with Goldberry, as Druid's Fire was just alluding to. Um, uh, We know there are spirits that animate natural features, right? This is a thing in Tolkien. And what's more, we have lots of reasons to believe, especially uh, for those of you who have been following along with our discussions of, you know, our our, our read-through of the History of Middle-Earth series in the Mythgard Academy, uh, which we've just returned to now with Sauron Defeated, Volume 9, uh, the class I unfortunately had to cancel for tomorrow, but we will be returning next Wednesday, is we've just been finishing the History of the Lord of the Rings. So as we've been looking through the development as the story has grown, one of the things that we saw and we're talking about in the early drafts is that this element, the elements of, like, there being spirits dwelling within parts of the of the world, right? Of the natural world that they're going through was much more prominent. A bunch of those parts get taken out. Um, one of the ones in particular that we were talking about, um, was, uh, uh, was that passage in Oregion, which we'll get to soon. Um, when Legolas is talking about the stones, right? Talking to the stones, in Eregion and hearing what they have to say in the earlier draft in the first draft of that passage, as they're going through Eregion, he is speaking. He speaks much more explicitly about communing with the spirit. He's like the reason he says that, like, remember when he says like this, this land is unknown to him of the Sylvan folk, right? What he says in the, uh, in the original draft is the spirits of this land are unknown to us right i can't get the spirits of this land to talk to me like i could get spirits of a forest to talk to me cuz i'm like this with with forest spirits but these like open plain rockland spirits like they're weird like i don't get them and they don't get me right um so Again, that was mutt, and now that- Tolkien cut that passage. But one of the things, and this is something that Christopher Tolkien says again and again in his commentary on his father's drafts, he he frequently warns us: just because Tolkien cuts something out of his draft and no longer includes it in the final, that doesn't mean that doesn't prove that Tolkien has changed his mind about that, right? He often will remove references to things which we have evidence to show that he is still happening in his head. Right. And I think that this is one example of those kinds of things. Um, no, he kind of dials down that passage with Legolas and the spirits of the Regian. Um, but remember that passage comes a little while after, uh, you know, hanging out in the house of the river daughter and only a few pages uh, before we're encountering the spirit of Carathras, right? Um, who is doing all these things. So anyway, I, I, I exactly, Tony. I think this is, it's more a case of him being less explicit and more implicit as he moves forward, which is definitely a trend that we see uh, in his drafts and in his revisions. So um, that being said, I think when Gandalf says there is great vigor in the waters that come down... From the snows of the misty mountains, I think that it seems to me not. Um, uh, it seems to me not impossible to hear here an echo of that same concept. Gandalf is saying, "Okay, <clears throat> there's this river, right? The Loud Water." And again, notice how the very name of the river is evoked in the first, in the beginning of that description right the loud water rolling many stones yes the loud water is rolling many stones um it is a bit of an anthropomorphism tony or well i'm not sure if anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism is exactly right because it's not exactly showing it in the form of man right certainly not in the in the in the morphology of man uh, or even of humans necessarily um but definitely um thinking in terms of uh uh thinking in terms of animation i think is is better um uh yeah exactly evil dr Cannon. there's a feisty spirit in the loud water the the loud water has a sp- uh, at least one spirit associating with it it is personal more personal and not inert uh tony that's exactly that's exactly right um and i think that that's i i to think we might actually take Gandalf at his word there when he says there is great vigor in the mountains, he's not only speaking metaphorically, um, or saying that the because of the slope, the waters run down really hard. I think he's saying, like, there is a very, vi- you know, that there is a spirit in these waters, right, which is a vigorous, um, and wrathful spirit. And what do they do? Stir it up, right? He stirs it up. That's one of the, so if we understand that as one of the ways in which Gandalf augments the flood as it comes down, that seems to me to be exactly in keeping with the kind of magic that Gandalf performs elsewhere. So I'm happy with that. And one of the natural consequences of that would be for the flood to then roll bigger boulders down because it's, it's more wrathful. And so Its wrath is unleashed, and now all of those boulders, which are very natural to imagine being here, would be rolling down, and thus we would have physical boulders, and Gandalf could take credit for them, because had he not stirred up the extra wrath of the the stream, they wouldn't have come down, and it explains why immediately after mentioning the boulders which he is taking credit for, he says, "'I was afraid we'd let loose too fierce a wrath, and the flood would get out of hand and wash you all away.'" Uh, we incur, I encouraged the river to exert itself. Right. And I was afraid that maybe it was going to get out of control. Right. I think that that's, uh, that works, right. That, that really, that, that works for me. So, and that would then seem to go along, uh, Arthur with your reading of, uh, uh, your kind of compromise reading, right. Okay. All right. I feel at peace about the boulders now. They could be physical, but I still don't, by the way. Totally reject the idea of spiritual boulders. I think that can still work, but I am fine with this. Um, and And the reason I'm fine with it is that we have found a way to make it work. Like that is compatible with Gandalf. Again, the dislodging of boulders, I don't see it. But this, yes, this makes sense to me if we combine those two different concepts. All right. Whew. Okay, so I know Tarlonio really wants to talk more about boulders, but Tarlonio, I'm sorry. We're going to have to move on, okay? That's just what we're going to have to do now. Um, so, <laughs> so, anyway, let's do that. Whoop. Okay. Ready for the end of the discussion? It's happening. Now, keep in mind, I said at the beginning, there is a bit in this passage that I don't understand, and I need your help with, so please... Uh, 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 be prepared to help me here. "'Yes, it all comes back to me now,' said Frodo. "'The tremendous roaring! "'I thought I was drowning, with my friends and enemies and all. "'But now we are safe.' "'Gandalf looked quickly at Frodo, but he had shut his eyes. "'Yes, you are all safe for the present. "'Soon there will be feasting and merrymaking "'to celebrate the victory at the ford of Bruinen, "'and you will all be there in places of honor. "'Splendid!' said Frodo. "'It is wonderful that Elrond and Glorfindel and such great lords, "'not to mention Strider, "'should take so much trouble and show me so much kindness.' "'Well, there are many reasons why they should,' said Gandalf, smiling. "'I am one good reason. "'The ring is another. "'You are the ring-bearer, "'and you are the heir of Bilbo, the ring-finder.' "'Dear Bilbo,' said Frodo sleepily, "'I wonder where he is. "'I wish he was here and could hear all about it. It would have made him laugh the cow jumped over the moon and the poor old troll with that he fell fast asleep okay here's what i don't understand why does gandalf look quickly at frodo what's that look about frodo has just said it all comes back to me now the tremendous roaring i thought i was drowning With my friends and enemies and all, but now we are safe. And Gandalf looks at him quickly, but he had shut his eyes. Yes, you are all safe for the present. Soon there will be feasting and merrymaking. What's he doing? Why does he look at... is Is that a look of suspicion? Is it... Is he trying to make eye contact with Frodo? But finds that Frodo has shut his eyes. So this attempted eye contact fails. Um, Is he looking quickly at Frodo? Is he doing a double take because he's reacting to what Frodo is clearly reacting to what Frodo said. So here's my I guess my the first part of the question. Well, my question anyway, is which bit is gandalf reacting to in this way um i mean the immediate the last thing that he said is the but now we are safe right so the first i mean it seems to me that the presumptive assumption has to be that gandalf is responding to the last thing that frodo said which would be but now we are safe right um Is it because he's wrong? Is it because okay? I'm, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to work through the options here. Lots of suggestions that I'm trying to work through these too, and I hope I don't miss too many this time. Um, uh, okay, Cecilia suspecting and that makes sense. That he's wanting to make sure that Frodo's returning memories aren't traumatizing him. Um, Right. Cecilia is, of course, reminding us that um, uh, he, Gandalf, had risked the story without the advice of Elrond. Right. So he was he was making he was doing something against the advice of Elrond. Elrond told him not to tell him too many stories, but he's like, well, I'll do this without asking Elrond. Right. So is this oops, did I do harm? right? Uh, is he really okay? That's That would be one explanation for a quick look at him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. life I do think many of these things could be meant at once, but hang on a second. So let me try to enumerate the things. This is going to be Tricky, because there are lots of possibilities here. Um, Now we are safe. So one of the things that several of you are suggesting is that there could be a question about the we. Right? Who is we? But now we are safe. Of course, the most obvious meaning is that he's meaning we you and me, Gandalf, you, me, and all of our friends, right? All of us are safe. Every, All the good guys are safe now, right? That's the one obvious meaning, but it could mean something else, right? One theory that a couple of people are putting forward here is, uh, see, Rin Roos was saying, the we could mean Frodo in the ring. Um, Or Gandalf might be wondering if by we... Frodo means him in the ring. Now we are safe, um, the ring and I. Um, That we might mean, as uh, Bruce was suggesting, maybe he's concerned that Frodo is still under the Witch King's sway and the we includes the enemies. Um, I thought I was drowning with my friends and enemies and all, but now we are safe. Syntactically, that could be made to work. That seems to me... The most unlikely of them though. I mean again it's possible that Gandalf is like, I'm pretty sure Frodo's okay. I'm pretty sure he's healed from the wound. He's totally not being dominated by the enemy. And now he's like, oh wait, what what are we sure? That seems to me a possibility, especially in light of, you know, the other theory, uh Cecilia, that you were saying about, you know, him just uh he's Gandalf has been doing this without the advice of Frodo's physician. And he's not sure if he's doing the right thing. Right. So that, that would kind of potentially connect with that. That seems to me the least likely one. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the ring one. I like better. Um, here's why I like that better. It would seem to me more to justify the quick look. The other theory, of course, about what it is that Gandalf is concerned about is Frodo's declaration of safety, right? Um, His quick look could be simply translated as, no, wait, seriously, Frodo, are you that thick? Do you really think that we're safe now? Do you think the story is over? The story, you, you realize, right, Frodo, that the story isn't over, right? Um, so he could be doing that kind of a double take there. But I tend not to think so. He, that's what he addresses verbally. Yes, you are safe for the present, he adds, the important qualifier, right? But that qualifier doesn't seem to justify the quick look in my mind. Right, I mean, had was he, if if his concern in in response to Frodo's statement was merely that, um, so if his concern were merely that he is wanting to correct, like don't be overconfident in your concept of safety here, the verbal correction I would think would be sufficient. Now we are safe. Well, yes, for the present, Frodo, right? But I don't see why why would he look at him quickly, right? Um. Uh, if he is suddenly if he has if he were to have a sudden grounds for concern that Frodo was more deeply under the influence of the ring than Gandalf had thought that would justify the quick look remember how he looking carefully at Frodo has been Gandalf's mechanism uh, for ascertaining his level of connection to the ring for years. Right. Remember back in chapter two, right. He would show up after a few years and he would look carefully at Frodo and ask him questions about his health and then go away. Right. Um, so this idea of I'm going to do it. I'm going hang on a second. I I, I got to look again. Uh, To see that the idea of that being connected to the ring makes a great deal of sense to me. And the thing that um, uh, several of you are saying, and it makes a lot of sense, Gollum refers, uses we a lot, right? Um, uh, That's Gollum's mode. If Gandalf has a brief twinge, again, there is a perfectly normal explanation for Frodo's sentence, right? Frodo's sentence is not strange. That's the thing that I think makes this sentence kind of jump out a little bit, makes it feel a little bit odd, is that it seems like a potential overreaction by Gandalf. He's now we are safe. Yeah. Me and my friends, obviously. Right. What did you think I was talking about Gandalf? Right. I mean, it would be a perfectly natural thing for him to say, meaning him and his friends, um, and including Gandalf himself. Right. But if Gandalf has at least the suspicion or the worry that when he says we, he means the ring and I, right. He means, uh, exactly. Um, Uh, as James is saying, you know, we are safe, safe, my precious, right? Um, if there's even the vaguest hint of that kind of edge to it, um, here is the other thing. Um, yeah, good. Karita is, uh, uh, saying a good reason to think it's the ring is the pronoun shift, He's saying, I, I thought I was drowning with my friends and enemies and all, but now we are safe. Now, again, Karida, you could say like, he just mentioned his friends. So I and my friends are safe, though not the enemies, right? Enemies less safe. My friends and I, we are safe. Again, it all makes sense. Um, it all makes sense normally, but it could potentially have that. So the, the, the question is not, is that what Frodo is really saying? I don't think it necessarily is. It just seems to be Gandalf's concern that Frodo might be saying that or thinking that. And he's double-checking, right? Um, Especially since Gandalf has to be concerned. Frodo, it's not just the amount of time that—and you're certainly right, Tony, to point out he's had it for 17 years. There's lots of reasons to—and Gandalf proved that it has a hole on him, right? In Bag End, when Frodo couldn't chuck it into the fire, he knows— that the ring has a hold on Frodo already. He's proven that empirically uh, already, but he's put it on, right? He's been wearing it in times when he shouldn't. Gandalf is going to know enough to know that Frodo, in putting on the ring in the times that he has put it on during his journey, has done so giving in to the will of the ring, right? He has succumbed. Uh, to the temptation of the ring on multiple occasions. And that's a slippery slope. And Gandalf knows that, right? So, um, I definitely think, um, I definitely think that this has got to be a concern in Gandalf's mind. Here is a, uh, um, here's another piece of evidence to support the ring theory. Look at where Gandalf, look what's on Gandalf's mind right after that, right? in response to Frodo's comment about how wonderful it is that people are showing him so much kindness, he says, there are many reasons why they should. I am one reason the ring is another, right? Now, again, you can say, well, of course, naturally, Gandalf is thinking about the ring. But notice how he here, and I think, Zephan, was it you who was pointing out that this is the very first time that the word ring bearer has been used and applied to Frodo? You are the ring bearer uh gandalf names him here the ring bearer um and notice it really is a name it really is a title that's being attached to him as is clear from the the title that he then gives to bilbo you are the heir of bilbo the ring finder um remember gandalf's naming bilbo a burglar back in chapter one of the hobbit right Um, If I say you are a burglar, then a burglar you are or will be when the time comes, right? Um, Gandalf naming somebody has significance, right? And he is here naming Frodo Ringbearer for the first time. That does seem to be important. And again, does it prove that Gandalf has already had Frodo's relationship with the ring in his mind here? That he was already... Worrying about that just a second ago, um, which led him to do this, to say, to mention the ring, to, uh, uh, to introduce that title. No, I don't think that's the only explanation of that. I don't think that, uh, you know, Gandalf's reference to the ring there is inexplicable uh, without that. But it certainly fits, right? It certainly does fit if he is just—and remember, we've not been talking about the ring, right? Gandalf and Frodo's conversation has moved away from the ring for quite some time, right? Um, this is Gandalf returning to it and possibly um, uh, looking at Oh yeah, Mudmore uh, Frodo has the ring on him right now. Yes. Um, he definitely has the ring uh, uh, around his uh, neck right now. Um, so I think the 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 quickness of the look convinces me that there is some alarm, there is some concern. This is this is this is a movement of alarm, uh, uh, from Gandalf, and I do think that the ring explanation is the best answer. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, interesting. Cecilia is pointing out that uh Gandalf's Gandalf does not reciprocate Frodo's we right when Frodo says now we are safe Gandalf doesn't say yes we are we are safe for the present he says you are all safe for the present um yeah yeah um anyway um that works I'm satisfied with that um i'm satisfied with the ring reading that seems to me to make the most sense there that would certainly explain the action the looking at him right um to see if he can ascertain uh, see any other alarm signs i don't know exactly what he's looking for because i don't know exactly what gandalf sees we got a glimpse Right. That whole, the passage about him being like a glass for eyes to see who can, you know, that like that, we, we got a glimpse into the kinds of thing that Gandalf can see, um, when he looks at Frodo, um, there, I think, you know, here, I think we're getting a hint and we've seen hints as I said of this before that he can perceive in some way what's going on here. Um, JJ yeah it's also possible that he was looking to see any physiological signs if was was frodo touching or fingering the ring uh, while he said that quite possibly um, <laughs> yeah Tony says we could can be uh, can't blame Gandalf for being a little skittish about loyalty right now post Isengard. yeah no I I hear that I hear that um, yeah yeah Yeah, interesting. Belongsbon says it's an unspoken parallel to when he said to Bilbo the thing about it being called Precious. Exactly. We have seen an example already of a long-running ring keeper, right? Not Yet not named ring bearer, um, reverting to Gollum's speech, right? Um, By calling it his Precious Gandalf has reason to think that using the same kinds of terminology that Gollum uses about the ring is a very bad spiritual sign. Right. Um, so yeah, and this is obviously much less advanced, right? He's not actually calling it my precious, but again, it's, uh, um, it, it would be an early warning sign that Gandalf would want to be very sensitive to. Um, Yeah, good, good. Um, Hmm. Lilith is asking about Gandalf uh, revealing his emotions or becoming, you know, uncloaking himself when he becomes suspicious. So, first of all, I... um, the uncloaking with Bilbo, I do not think is a, an expression of emotion on Gandalf's part. Um, that is him exerting his power against the power of the ring. He is helping Bilbo, as he explains um, to Frodo, right? It took, you know, that, that how it took all of his power to help Bilbo get to the point where he could leave the ring right? Um, that's why he's he's not, like, getting ticked off and being like, all right, the gloves are coming off, Bilbo. I'm going to uncloak myself because I'm so mad. That, that, that isn't it. Now, he does say, it will be my turn to get angry soon, right? So he does talk about getting angry, and goodness knows that Gandalf is generally cranky quite often, right? So I'm not at all saying that Gandalf always has his emotions under tight control. I'm just saying I don't think that the uncloaking is an expression of anger there um yeah exactly what's your name there uh oh oh right um professor hobbit exactly much like um uh he he helps frodo on M on hen exactly exactly yeah what he does with bilbo i think is it's of course it's not exactly the same but yes that that is a parallel i think um yeah yeah um so who had to handle the ring to put it around frodo's neck Nobody necessarily had to touch it. I mean, that whole operation could have been performed without anyone holding the ring in their hands. And I kind of think that uh, Elrond and Gandalf would both be wary of anyone handling the ring. Um, My suspicion is that the ring was put on a chain and the chain put around Frodo's neck without anyone actually touching the ring at all um again that operation could be done without too much difficulty i think without anyone actually holding the ring in their hands um yeah exactly bruce we do see gandalf holding the envelope with the ring inside it right he puts it back up on the mantelpiece uh for bilbo um but yeah yeah um the only reason for thoughtless we have for thinking that the ring wasn't on Frodo's unconscious person the whole time is that it's been moved. It was in his pocket. It's now around his neck. He wakes up to find it on a chain around his neck. Um, so that I think is, uh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. How do you thread a chains a ring without holding the ring easily? Right. All you need is like a, you know, what, like a, get like a knitting needle or something right put it through hold the chains on either side tongs absolutely right tongs in a hazmat suit yeah no you could totally do it um uh wouldn't be hard it was on a chain already remember um he had it on a chain in his pocket um the chain is now around his neck so it could be as simple as cutting the chain out and then like attaching the chain to another chain and then putting it around his neck. Like they, uh, it could be on the same chain. So all they had to do was hold the chain. I I'm just saying, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's possible, uh, that they didn't, I, 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 it just seems to me, right. Think putting myself into Gandalf and Elrond's position and remembering Gandalf's reluctance to hold the ring, um, to take the ring from Frodo. Certainly he's not going to take possession of it. Um, and, uh, he won't hold it for Bilbo. Right. Um, when Bilbo asks him to hold it either. Um, and it is, there is a, uh, there is a, uh, a new chain, Tony. So I, I do think they threaded a new chain through the ring, but again, I just don't think anybody touched it. Um, uh, or had it in their possession. So anyhow, um, yeah. And you're right. likely about Gandalf did hold the ring in Bag End. Um, uh, that's how it got in the fire. Remember, Frodo couldn't chuck it in the fire, but Gandalf did. Um, so I don't think it's... If we imagine this as some kind of, you know, contagion that spreads through skin contact, I think we're thinking about it wrong. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, I don't think that they would uh, probably want to take too many... Um, Chances with it That was different When Gandalf just takes it And chucks it in the fire What matters is The sort of status of the ring Like Like when Bilbo says You had better take it And give it to Frodo Gandalf says no way man Right why Because if he had accepted it Then he would be He would be holding the ring right he would have the ring he would be in possession of the ring briefly and with the intention of handing it off right but it would be he would have received the ring himself that's a big deal right he doesn't do that the same thing is not true uh remember gandalf's words uh yeah i mean he, he doesn't frodo's not handing the ring off to him when gandalf holds it briefly chucking it into the fire in bag end right he doesn't do that. Um, exactly. There's something about possessing it or owning it. Um, and here's the other thing. So think about the position of whichever elf it was who put the ring on its new chain. Um, exactly, Tony. It is all about will and intentions. It, that, that is super important. So, if somebody took the ring off of Frodo's body in order to put it on a new chain and put it back around his neck right that's not a good look i am taking the body the the i am taking this ring off the unconscious body of the hobbit who who has it that's not a great look again they're only doing it just in order to put it on a chain but again i i would think they would be careful about that i would think that gandalf and and elrond would be a little bit concerned lest anyone cuz that's you could argue that that was taking possession of the ring. Remember Gandalf didn't want to do it even briefly just to hand it off to Frodo. And so even to say like, no, I'm going to, I'm totally giving it back in just a second. I'm just putting it on a chain. Right. Still, nevertheless, um, it's, um, it's taking it. It's accepting it. Right. Um, yeah, there would be a risk of ring induced monologue in that scenario. Yeah. A small risk perhaps, but I think a non-zero risk um so i think um i think the thing that so this is why myself i do imagine that it is like taken out of frodo's pocket on the chain right and then like threaded through the chain and then immediately put around frodo's so that like nobody says hang on give me the ring so i can put it on a chain right like it, it may seem semantic But as Tony said, it's all about the will and intentions matter tremendously, uh, when it comes to the taking of the ring. Um, so yeah, I I definitely think that that's, we're not told anything about how that happened. Um, but kind of trying in my imagination to reconstruct what must have happened. I'm kind of thinking there was a very cautious operation there and, uh, it, um, Probably didn't actually involve hazmat suits, but, you know, kind of something like that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The mad violinist says, I've got a chain in my room. Let me take the ring and put it on that chain. I'm totally going to bring it right back. Well, exactly. Like, it it doesn't take much uh, to imagine how that puts somebody in a potentially dangerous position. Well, I'm doing worse than usual with uh, going AFK here tonight. Um, Yeah. So, um, I do think it would be better not to, not to, uh, take chances. Cause again, it's not about tongs, needing tongs again. Cause it's, it's not about like, it's an infection. It's a biological infection that will uh, you know hit you if you touch it with your, uh, with your fingers. It's all about the will. It's all about the intentions. Um, and so the, the crucial thing I think would be that nobody took possession of the ring even briefly. Um, yeah, so I do think uh, Druid's Fire is arguing that Elrond might have done this himself. Yeah, well, Scudo, I'm not saying I don't think they would be at all concerned about physical contact. Again, I can Im- when I imagine this scene, I do imagine them avoiding physical contact with the ring. But not because it's infectious, but rather because if you pick up and hold the ring in your hand, then even for just a few seconds, you are the possessor of the ring. You've taken it off of Frodo's body. And again, and that's a bad look. You didn't kill him and loot it, loot his corpse, but it's kind of close to that, right? I mean, you you've, you've become at least potentially a thief. And the only difference between you and a thief is the purity of your intentions. And that's where the risk comes in. How long will the purity of those intentions last? Again, it's a non-zero risk. Um, yeah. No, I'm not arguing that I don't think that Elrond would be up to it. Uh, but remember, don't forget the crucial element. The more powerful you are, the more vulnerable you are to the ring. Um Elrond is very powerful. Elrond is a very consider has, has at least as great, you know, spiritual status as anybody in middle earth, but that makes him more vulnerable, not less to the ring. Um, much better, much better. I Elrond would be one of the last people. Actually, I would ask to do this job. Um, if it were me, I would have, I, somebody had mentioned this before. Fourth thought I was just saying it again. I'd have had Sam do it, frankly. Um, that seems like by far the best move, spiritually speaking, the wisest move. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, get asking the lowest schlub in Rivendell, as both uh, Bruce and Corita are suggesting, also seems like a much better plan than asking Elrond to do it. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, okay. So, um, by the way, in retrospect, I can't believe this was not a Lotro quest. This is exactly the kind of thing that Lord of the Rings Online is so good about introducing as a quest line. Something happens off stage that we only hear about later on the player characters almost always are involved in those things right how did we not end up helping with the chain that the ring gets put on right oh come on what that's a missed opportunity right oh well um yeah well we'll see i know we were busy getting components for aragorn's sword that was arguably more weighty, but, uh, but still, ah, good argument there. Good argument there. Fourth Dauntless says that the the developers are uh, pretty careful to keep the ring a secret from the player. Yeah, it's true. Um, the, the ring is only referred to indirectly. Um, so maybe it's a little bit too soon to bring the, uh, the player characters in the game in into the full confidence of Elrond and Ga- and Gandalf at that point, uh, to, uh, uh, to make them privy to that operation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would accept that explanation. Um, anyway, sorry for the, uh, uh, sorry for the tangent there. Okay. whoop, yeah. uh, Losing my slide. Let's see if we can talk about a couple more of the things on this slide here. I have no aspirations of getting past this slide, but we solved the boulders problem. What more could I expect from this class? And the quick look at Frodo. I mean, everything else is just a bonus at this point. Um, Gandalf responds. He seems to be okay with his quick with the results of his quick look at Frodo. He does still make his correction, right? Um, You are all safe for the present. Um, So, yeah, yes, you're safe for now, right? For the present. Soon there will be feasting and merrymaking to celebrate the victory at the Fort of Bruinen, and you will all be there in places of honor. So he is um, assuring Frodo about that everything is good now, right? He's kind of building on that. Um, and again, this is another reason why I think his quick look is not being alarmed at Frodo saying that now we're safe, like being alarmed that Frodo is deluded about that. Um, because although he qualifies it, he essentially agrees. Yep. You're all safe for the present. Soon they're going to be feasting in merriment the victory, right? That's an interesting word that he chooses there to celebrate the victory at the Fort of Bruin. we, we had a battle we won right? So battle's over. That battle's over, right? So you only say for the present, but that battle's over and we won it. Um, and you are going to be celebrated and honored. Um, a very different note than he was striking at the very beginning of the conversation with the, his, after all the absurd things that you have done comment, right? Um, Ooh, Forth Dauntless, that is interesting. Any possibility that this place of honor is being dangled as a test? How does Frodo respond to the offer of status within the House of Elrond? That is a brilliant reading, Fourth Dauntless. I never suspected Gandalf of being devious in suggesting that, but it is an intriguing suggestion. Frodo's... whether or not Gandalf intended it to elicit... A particular response from frodo the um the response that it does elicit is very suggestive splendid says frodo it is wonderful that elrond and glorfindel and such great lords not to mention strider should take so much trouble and show me so much kindness the humility of frodo's response that he not only doesn't take it for granted that everybody should make a big deal about him, right? But that he calls it wonderful, right? By which I assume that Frodo is using that word in its older sense and not its modern sense. He's not meaning great, it is excellent, that Elrond and Gorfindel. Um, wonderful, it is full of, it fills him with wonder, exactly, Mad Violinist. It fills me with wonder. That Elrond and Gorfindel and such great lords, not to mention Strider, should take so much trouble and show me so much kindness. Um, That he should have been personally attended by Elrond Half-Elven? That he and his friends should be guests of honor? I mean, they were planning to come here for refuge, right? They were planning to come here uh, to visit the elves uh, and to... um, and hoping to find some safety here in the house of Elrond that had been the plan all along, but they never thought he never thought they would be guests of honor. Right. Um, so yes, uh, it, um, it shows that he is his, his humility is still intact. So for thoughtless, if Gandalf were testing Frodo, he passes, right. Um, Is that definitely what he's doing? Is that Gandalf's positive motivation there? I like that reading. I mean, I don't know for sure. I don't think we can prove it. But again, if he were testing, that would be the exact answer that he would want. And it would be a good test, I think, to see if what he is concerned about, if his quick look is to try to ascertain how much hold does the ring have over him, um it would be a good test to see how is he going to respond to attention to elevation? Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that again. I, I've, 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 I've never thought of that before for thoughtless, but I think that is very plausible. Um, well, there are many reasons why they should, he responds. I am one good reason. The ring is another. The, I am one good reason I take as another piece of hobbitry on Gandalf's part. Um, he's teasing him, right? Uh, one good reason why you should be held in a place of honor is that I told them to, right? Um, so that seems to fit into the kind of teasing relationship that Gandalf and Frodo have, right? He's teasing him like, well, if you're being in a held in position of honor, it's only because I told them to do it. Right. Um, Again, that to me makes a lot of sense. Um, it seems to fit that tone with which he began, right? At, with his absurd comment uh, way back at the beginning of the uh, of the conversation. Um, uh, and then he gets... So I think he has like one joking comment, which is the I am one good reason and the ring is another. Uh, is this serious. So he he sort of starts off joking and then gets very serious, right? The ring is another good reason. Um, And the naming that we already talked about, the ring is another. You are the ring bearer. Look at the punctuation there. The ring is another, colon. You are the ring bearer, right? Why is it that the ring gives him honor, right? because Tony, you're right. It's not something worthy of honor itself, right? What, uh, the way in which the ring brings him honor is because he is the ring bearer because he is carrying the burden with humility, right? His courage and endurance. Exactly. Bruce, that's what's worthy of honor. Um, and so what we see is the ring temptation turned on its head. Now we don't know if Frodo has experienced any ring temptation here, but that seems to be if we're going to go with fourth Thoughtless's reading there, what Gandalf was seeing, are you experiencing any, any ring temptation here, Frodo? Right. Um, uh, which we do see the ring tending to lead people to think about themselves in grandiose ways. Right. Um, Gandalf now turns that on its head, right. By saying the reason why they should take so much trouble and show you so much kindness is that you are the ring bearer, right? Because of your sacrifice. Exactly, Arthur and Valori. Exactly. Um, and you are the heir of Bilbo, the ring finder. So yes, we have a comma between Bilbo and the ring finder. It's given as if it were a title. Bilbo, comma, the ring finder. Um, you are the ring bearer is put after a colon because it expli- the, this is why the ring is a reason The ring is a reason for them showing kindness and taking trouble because you are the ring bearer. Um, Interesting. Zephan, yes. uh, uh, Zephan is pointing out that he uses the present tense there, not you were the ring bearer. Uh, He is not telling Frodo your job's probably done, right? Frodo was hoping maybe was wondering, maybe hoping that his job was done now that he's brought the ring as far as Rivendell, um, that somebody else, you know, he, he can find some other better keeper now. Um, certainly there seem to be better candidates floating around here in Rivendell. Um, at least to Frodo's eyes. Right. Um, but yes, as Zeffin points out, his use of the present tense is in this way, perhaps ominous, right? At least to Frodo, um, you are, the ring that is who you are um and again i'm brought back to gandalf's statement about naming bilbo a burglar in chapter one of the hobbit right you are if i say you are a burglar then a burglar you are or will be when the time comes right um so Zephin, present tense with potentially a little hint of future there right um this is who you are this is what your name is now. Is it like being named Elfriend, Tony? I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe. I think there could be some similarities and differences. It would be an interesting talk, wouldn't it, Tony? It would be an interesting little uh, uh, regional moot paper, I think. Um, compare and contrast ring bearer as a title right and elf friend as a title um because i think that there are some ways in which those are both similar and different um yeah um yeah so Okay, let's see The other thing that we can see there, I think and this is it's not a different thing, but another result, another conclusion that we can draw from the observation we were just making about how Gandalf is emphasizing frodo, what makes you a big deal is the fact that you are the ring bearer uh and is to sort of emphasize this to Frodo here's what this means, right. You, you're not just Bilbo. You are the heir of Bilbo, right? And that's a big deal, but that's not. He was the ring finder. You are the ring bearer. You are the one who has taken up the burden of the ring. Remember, we made a, um, we made a big deal about the fact at the end of chapter two, um, Gandalf makes a big deal right? Well, have you decided what to do? Remember that passage? Um, where like he seems first, he seems to give Frodo no choice at all about what to do and then insists that Frodo choose, right? That Frodo embrace it of his own free will. Um, and he does, right? Frodo takes that burden on himself at this point. Um, and, uh, at that point that is back in chapter two, Gandalf seems to be emphasizing to Frodo the significance of what he has taken on himself. You have made yourself important. You ha you are playing an important role. Um, and what you are doing with the ring, bearing it while forbearing it, right. Is a big, it makes you a big deal. It is really important. Um, yeah, you're right, Arden Crayon, that eventually the title of Ring Bearer is going to become something like a passport to leave Middle-earth. Yes, uh, which is an interesting thing. It's one of the things I was thinking of in the back of my head when I was talking about similarities and differences with Elf Friend. Um, there are different rights, privileges, and burdens associated with being uh, an Elf Friend, certainly. Um Now, Chemlust asks an interesting question or notes that he calls Bilbo the ring finder, not the ring winner, which, of course, is what Bilbo called himself in his conversation to Smaug. Yes, he's the finder, not the winner. Winner suggests he he won it. He owns it. Right. Ring winner fits in with the whole. I am trying to make my own claim to ownership of the ring without doubt. Right. Whereas Gandalf is not going to play that game. Right. He found the ring. That was his job. Right. That's what he accomplished. Um, but, um, uh, but he didn't, he didn't win it. Right. He doesn't own it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Zephim, Smeagol would be a ring finder. He also, well, no, he didn't find the ring. He was a ring taker. Diagol was a ring finder as well. Right. Um, so notice there, the parallel, uh, that, um, if we think about it that way, Zephyr, it suggests um, it suggests a a really fascinating parallel. Bilbo and Diego were both ring finders, right? The ring then passed from the ring finder to the person who bore the ring after them, right? But obviously, an enormous difference between how the ring was passed right um the the yeah so that i think is uh is interesting exactly isildur and Sméagol as both trifle and belongs saying isildur and Sméagol qualify as ring takers both of them were ring takers yeah exactly and you know who else would be a ring taker Whichever elf took it off of Frodo's body to put it on a chain, they would be ring takers as well. You wanna be in that crowd? Isildur, Gollum, and you? Right? Oh, come on. Like you, you, you want to be careful about that. Um JJ, yes, Sam is briefly a ring taker as well. Though again the difference is unlike Isildur or uh uh Smeagol. He takes it off off a corpse or what he believes to be a corpse, right? He's not a ring taker in the same sense because both of them, both Isildur and and Gollum, basically murder the person and take the ring off of their body. That's what happened to Sauron. Sauron's uh, Sauron is gets gets done in there. Uh, you know, he is not. It's it's no accident, right? Um, Isildur loots the ring off of Sauron's corpse. Smeagol loots the ring off of Diegol's corpse. The difference there, Diegol is worse than Isildur because the desire for the ring is what led him to kill Diegol. Whereas there's no reason to believe that Isildur desired the ring prior to the death of Sauron. And that was motivating him to kill Sauron, right? He had other reasons. Um, So... Sam doesn't Sam's taking of the ring off of Frodo's body is very different. Very different. Um Yeah, yeah. Um but he's neither a finder nor nor does he undertake being a ring bearer in the same way, though there are parallels there too parallels to again when we do the choices of master Samwise, which will be you know not too long from now um then um uh we will see some parallels between the spirit with which sam takes up the ring and the spirit with which frodo has taken up the ring to become a ring bearer um but anyway yeah def and i also really look forward to that moment when we get there um <laughs> Bruce says his son will be attending in his place by that point. Maybe, maybe. Uh it might be true of me too. Um Yep. Yep. Um <laughs> Tim says you shall neither neither a keeper nor a taker be. Uh yeah, exactly. Um Yep. Oh, Zephyr, no, you're right. There is a lot to talk about with Sam taking the ring. A lot to talk about. And let's leave it for that because we we need to be looking at those passages when we, when we talk about that. Last thing, and we're almost done here. Dear Bilbo, I wonder where he is. I wish he was here and could hear all about it. It would have made him laugh. The cow jumped over the moon and the poor old troll. Um, I think we talked about this briefly before the question of how does Frodo not know Bilbo is in Riffindale? Um, Bilbo didn't write home. That's really the question, right? That he doesn't know that he's there. I mean, Bilbo's been there at his bedside, right? So unconsciousness is Frodo's immediate reason for not knowing that Bilbo is there but why did he not know for sure that this is that Bilbo had retired? Why didn't Bilbo send a letter back home saying, dear Frodo have retired in Rivendell? Uh, you know, hugs and kisses uncle Bilbo. Um, that's I think the bigger question. Um, Frodo's wish that Bilbo was there. Um, does to me imply that he at least sus- like if he had been asked to list places where he thought bilbo probably was this would have been really high on his list right um but um yeah <laughs> but laurie says bilbo's got some cheek after te- uh teasing his uh 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 his- no who is it who doesn't answer letters yeah, I'm forgetting exactly who the, who that was, but... Um, anyway. Evil Dr. Cannon is saying that he bets Gandalf and Elrond wouldn't want Bilbo to make his whereabouts known. Yeah, um... Gandalf could have mentioned it. Let's think about this more. Next time, it's getting late. And I don't want to go too late here. It's Milo Burroughs, who never answers letters. Okay, there you go. One thing that I do want to emphasize, exactly as Mad Violinist was just saying, there's a very good reason why no one has mentioned to bilbo here and now that bilbo is here and that's they don't want to spoil the surprise right um the the reveal of bilbo's presence is designed to be a happy surprise uh for frodo so there's a good reason why no one's mentioning it at this point that doesn't seem hard to me to understand at all the only two questions which are harder to understand is a why does bilbo never send a letter um, which I do think would be possible. There are enough people from Rivendell, Gandalf at least, who heads off in that direction that it could have happened. And secondly, um, why doesn't Gandalf ever mention it? Right? When Frodo says, Oh, we could go to Rivendell, why doesn't why doesn't Gandalf say then, yeah, Bilbo's there? Right? You should go visit Bilbo. Um I'm not sure I know exactly the answer to those things. Secrecy is one thing. It's mostly for Bilbo's sake that they wanted to make sure to keep him separate from Frodo. Maybe that's why. Um, uh, maybe that's why he. Um, uh, maybe it's not to protect Frodo, but to protect Bilbo. That Bilbo was never allowed to send letters back to Frodo. Um, because they want Bilbo to make a queen break with the Shire and Frodo and the Ring. Um, yeah. Yeah, for Thalys, I wonder that too. If Frodo's thinking about going to Rivendell to visit Bilbo, it could change his sense of purpose in carrying the Ring. Yes. Um, does Gandalf want to keep his focus more clear there right Um, that Gandalf sees that the resolution that the resolution that Frodo has made right um, to take the ring and carry it to Rivendell needs to stand on its own right? Um, If he has a personal desire in the journey, which is kind of influencing him, um, yeah, uh, then maybe that would in some way compromise his own will uh, on the way to Rivendell. Yeah. Yeah, James, you're right. We will get Bilbo's account of himself much before much sooner than we'll get the choices of master samwise uh true enough true enough um yeah okay well we'll come back to this i will sorry the last bruce the observation that you were making before um It is really interesting that the last two things that Frodo says before he falls asleep are essentially references to two songs. Now, the second one is indirect, right? The poor old troll is a reference to uh, the stone trolls that they saw, Bilbo's trolls. Um, But the fact that the troll is singular and the poor old troll um, makes it sound like it is a reference to the poem that Sam sang and not to the stone trolls, that they saw right and i wonder it would have made him laugh that he could hear all about it. he's imagining telling bilbo and it does not seem to me at all strange that the things in his half sleeping state right as he's falling asleep here um that the two things that he imagines first telling bilbo about are the two songs right the song that he sang in brie and the song that sam sang um and both of those things seem very relevant Right. Re- very, re- very relevant to Bilbo. Um, Bilbo would love to hear the song that Sam made up about the stone troll. Right. And Bilbo would certainly like to hear the funny story about how I sang his man in the moon song, right. At the prancing pony and Brie, which Bilbo has obviously been to, right. Cause he's passed through Brie before. Um, and, uh, Uh, and, and the cow jumped over the moon and how, you know, so I basically, Bilbo is going to be delighted to know that the worthies of Brie are going to be talking about this event, which, you know, focuses on the singing of his song, uh, at the prancing pony for years and years to come. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and good JJ, I think that's an important point too. They're also the two most comedic parts of the trip. Um, the, the, uh, which is probably a good sign considering the darkness that he's been through. Yes. He doesn't imagine sharing, you know, the trauma <laughs> with Bilbo. Uh, he imagines sharing with him the, the funny bits. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Whew. All right. We got through a slide. That was tough work here and we're running late. Um, but, uh, very good. Um, <laughs> Tarlonio's still hoping for some more conversation about boulders. Forget about it, Tarlonio. We're done with the boulders. Let it go, Tarlonio, let it go. Uh, she's teasing me. Um, okay. With that, I'm gonna speaking of weather tops this JJ. Okay. Uh, with that, I'm gonna say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Thanks for joining me on Twitter here this evening. Uh, and we're switching over to um, uh, uh, to Twitch, so twitch.tv slash signum uh, for our field trip here this evening as we will continue exploring uh some of the elvish lands here uh in the Lord of the Rings online as we continue looking at their adaptation of Tolkien's world in conjunction with some of the things we're looking at here in the story. So thanks everybody. Good night to the Twitter folks and we'll switch over. Alright. Okay, phew and I didn't time out again. And Veloria I think <laughs> you're you're back. Yeah, yeah,
1: sorry. Wi Fi went down and I didn't even notice. I was just sitting there going, man, he's taking a long time, isn't
0: he? <laughs> well, also true, but. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um. So we're going to we we started with at Kelendim last time and we're going to go mm-hmm. back to Kelendim this time, which is probably good as there are probably lower level folks here because we're including in me. On our So. <laughs> Going to a going to a starter area seems like a good plan here tonight. Yes, I think so. All right, cool. Um, mm-hmm. So let us head out.
1: So thanks for whoever looked that up, Milo Bros, That was it. I was confusing Milo it with Bro. the niece who thought very highly of herself and he left her a mirror.
0: Yes, it's the yes. Uh, exactly. It is uh, easy to get confused about who received which bequest from Bilbo. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's 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 funny because uh, Bilbo, in, in many cases, is very similar to Tolkien. But we actually know Tolkien was a pro- prolific letter writer too. Yes, so.
0: yes, yes, exactly. Um, it, it's
1: interesting. He made Bilbo just non communicative. I mean, no well, one. He's a loner. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. We, you know, can. continuing to think sorry i just had a little I'm like wait has this changed no wait hang on a second i'm going the wrong way we're going to calendon which is from westbury right
1: oh right 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 wrong stable.
0: gosh yeah i was headed i was headed to southbury oh you
1: we were going to Rivendell yeah, so often yeah. i got in the habit <laughs> exactly of doing that.
0: that's what i was doing too i was heading <laughs> off towards Rivendell without even thinking about it um yeah. anyway continuing to think a little bit about the bilbo communications thing the more I think about it, the more the one thing that we do know for sure is that they were trying to keep Bilbo away from the ring. Like there's there's yes. a certain there's an obvious recidivism risk with Bilbo. Right. I mean, that's, different,
1: different kind of conspiracy there.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and it's not hard to imagine. That even that even his letter, even writing letters to Frodo could conceivably be dangerous to him, right? Because Mm -hmm. even an innocent letter to Frodo in which he asked about how he was doing and how have you been feeling? Like, how's my old ring? How's my old (laughs) ring? Exactly. I mean, it's one very short step to that. And even if he doesn't, even if he's prevented from actually saying that um, Mm -hmm. uh, to Frodo, (laughs) <laughs> even, even if, like, Elrond and Gandalf are, like, actively censoring his letters, um, still... Or, or even possibly
1: this... giving him more, uh, more uh, tales to put into poetry as an exercise.
0: <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, you'd think that they would um, uh, want to keep him from um, just kind of making those connections back to the Shire, back to Frodo, right? Mm. Um, so yeah Gallandor points out that Frodo receiving a letter might encourage him to go visiting Rivendell which would of course bring Bilbo back into contact with the ring again so um, the desire to keep Bilbo and the ring separate could be enough by itself uh, to explain why any reference to Bilbo's location is discouraged um yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think so. But also, you get the feeling with Bilbo having no real connection to anyone or stuff like that, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to leave off letter writing for him anyway, because in a place like Rivendell, where, you know, everyone stays up all hours and every, one day <laughs> sort of blends into the next, and you can definitely say he's like, oh, I'll write Frodo a letter. And now a week's gone by. No, oh, I guess I'll write it next week.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, uh, that could easily that could easily happen i don't yeah um even bilbo i think wanting to kind of make a Queen break from the shire uh Belongsmond was suggesting that uh um was it Belongsmond? um yes uh was still thinking that bilbo wants his vanishing joke to hold up uh and is worried <laughs> okay. that if he did write to frodo somebody would read his mail
1: Oh yeah, it went pretty in towns like that. Basically, the mailbag was hung on a written, written, little nail in the center of town, and everybody has. Right. Well, this one they have established postman at least, but
0: right. Exactly. Yeah,
1: you can bet if there was a letter from Bilbo, it'd go be around the town before it got right. up the hill.
0: <laughs> now it could be privately delivered by Gandalf, but again, I just it seems to me to be against the general project of. Separating the two of them. Yeah, the more I think about that, the more the more sense that seems to me to make. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, sure does.
0: But um, anyway, all right. Let us look around Kellindim a bit. We 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 got here now. First of all, let me uh, immediately say that Kellindim is one of those, um, Elvish names that I have a really hard time putting the stress on the penultimate syllable like you're supposed to.
1: Kelundim, Kelundim.
0: I, I i in fact, I have a really hard time doing it with almost every uh elvish name Something. that starts with the hard c oh. um because it's a hard c I always want to put the stress on the syllable with the hard c uh, like oh. nobody, nobody says Caleborn no Goadriel's husband i mean technically mm-hmm. i mean if the stress and elvish names is always on the second to last syllable then it should be caleborn but that doesn't make a bit of sense again the 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 you know the explosiveness of the hard c sound of the of the k sound at the bit at, at the beginning um mm-hmm. is uh um you know so again that's that's Feels to me like you re- needs the stress, right? So, I almost yeah. always, whenever I get a especially like Kelleborn, right? A three syllable uh name with the uh-huh. with the with the hard C at the beginning, um, I always uh, um, I always do that. So, anyway,
1: yep. It is difficult. It's like, you know, hearing a song and then the word has been broken up with different emphasis on the wrong syllables and your ear catches it out and goes, that's not right, that's not right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think we get... No one ever sings any songs about Celeborn. <laughs> so we never, get to, we never get to hear that. Um, First or the second. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, we're starting in the waterfront here, which seems only appropriate uh, here in Keladim, because one of the things that we are hearing is this is at least a, a, a sort of a harbor. If we look at where we are here, right, this is the okay. River Loon uh, running down. If we go out a little bit long uh, further here, right, this is the Loon, which runs down. Okay. Uh, near Lake Evendim. It doesn't run there, but it runs all the way down from Forakel and it runs out in towards the sea. So this is. Kelendim is the closest thing that we get to the Grey Havens in the game so far. Um, yeah. It is. We know it's. There's elvish stuff out past. You know, the West Farthing, and that's where we are right as we came through the through the West Farthing before. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: we are to understand the elves here are waiting for a ship to take them to the Grey Havens.
0: Exactly. Well, right.
1: Unless they're living here.
0: So they don't actually depart from here. This is not the this is not the, 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 the place to go off. Um, but this would be a gathering place or, you know, there's still departure from middle earth is still what is seems to be on the mind of the people who live here. Right. Or who <laughs> come here anyway. Um, and certainly elves who are on their way out of middle earth pass through here on their way to the gray havens. Um, uh-huh. so, and that's something of course that we see when we meet the elves and, and, uh, do some of the quests around here. We meet a bunch of elves who are contemplating leaving or planning to leave. Um, Exactly, it's sort of a satellite station to take them to the main hub, JJ. That's exactly. That's exactly it.
1: wretched um, hive of
0: scum and villainy. No. wait No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no. 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 Uh, yeah. Not a wretched hive of scum and villainy perhaps. Um <laughs> yes. Um cool. Okay. Um hey, Tawith, I'm not sure, but at some point we we'll, we'll explore the area here and uh um, I will be interested, I'll make, you can help me to remember, Tawath, to make sure that we get up to the Ward Spire and try to see what we can see, uh, Taweth was saying that you can see uh, what looks like an elvish settlement across the river from the Ward Spire. Um, oh, yeah. So we're, I, let's, let's look at that. I do there.
1: recall making that swim a long time ago.
0: Okay, so here we are. So we get, no, so no ships on the horizon, says this dwarf. Uh, who, who are you? Dock Worker? There's a dockworker dwarf. That's really interesting. Well, yeah. there's
1: a big uh, cantilever crane here.
0: Yeah. It has a, another elven design to it. Yeah, you're right. It does look like the, 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 the arches here supporting it look very elvish. I
1: know. There is a harbor up in the north. Oh, the, the, the dour hands have control of the harbor up north, though.
0: Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And this is presumably not a dower hand. Um, again for those of you unfamiliar with the game the dower hands are uh it's they made it up in the game they wanted to have another of the seven tribes of the dwarves who are under evil influence very much like in fact there are some <laughs> direct parallels uh between the dower hands under the influence uh, of evil here and like the you know the Hillman and rudeaur right and you know arnor falling under the domination of evil uh earlier in the third age um anyway so mm-hmm. the the dower hands are the are the 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 bad guy dwarves which presumably Splinter this perfect. dude is not because yeah. uh he's just here wandering around dock worker okay so he's working on the dock for whom is he working on the dock he's here next to the loading crane yep does he work load does he work for the elves does he work for the dwarves is there dwarvish trade that comes through maybe here. There's as well.
1: a maybe he's attached to a certain merchant fleet.
0: Yeah, so that this harbor would have two purposes: both the, uh, both as a, a you know a place for the disembarkation of like trade goods that are coming up the mm-hmm. river, and also as a departure point for the elves. So that dwarves and elves would both be operating here, but for quite different reasons.
1: Um, or maybe he's a machinist and he designed some of these uh, machines over here, or he's going to help with ships that uh, need patching up or fixing.
0: In which case he would be working for the elves. Yes. Right. It's not unheard of. It's just rare. No, I, it's, yeah, I'm not saying I think that's impossible. Seems a little mm-hmm. bit unlikely. I don't know if it's Yeah. I mean, there's no
1: Kyrton up here, so they got to have somebody. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Um
1: But, yeah, more likely he's attached to a certain merchant company.
0: I would think so. This crane, which I'd never even noticed before, um, is interesting because it could serve a dual purpose, right? I mean, it it could be used for loading and unloading merchant ships. But, of course, like, well, yeah, elves who are departing Middle-earth probably don't pack particularly heavily, right? I don't I mean, know i was gonna say on the one hand um uh um
1: can they take it with them
0: gosh, wow talk about a question i've never asked myself before do the <laughs> elves who leave middle earth pack <laughs> do they just leave everything Maybe get behind to b-
1: well, you know how know how long the voyage is. I mean, you know, I'm sure there might be a different climes as you're traveling through the ionosphere and stuff. You know, bring a sweater.
0: Bring a sweater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you see, I like get it, and food. You need. Food. It is not Probably. obvious that it takes any serious quantity of time to sail to Valinor, as Valinor mm-hmm. is not a merely geographical distance away.
1: That's true, but we're not so. I'm not so certain of the distance since they, you know, re- reconnected it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, Scudo, I agree that I mean it's a good question to ask. What could they possibly bring with them that wouldn't be replaceable with with, with, with a, that wouldn't be significantly upgradable, right? When they get to their destination, yes. But we do know that they get attached to things that they have made. Mm-hmm it doesn't seem to me at all impossible that they would want to take with them memories. Um, Or or crafts that
1: they'd made, like special jewels or crowns or
0: something. Right. Um, Yeah. I would think it would vary by the elf. Um, But remember, Scudo says a few sentimental trinkets, Well, possibly, but remember how many sentimental trinkets Finrod and brought with him from Valinor, right? Uh, Heaps of them. Um, He definitely would have needed a crane, it sounded like. Um, So, uh, (laughs) Trifle says you can't tell me some Nolder and Smith didn't try to take the whole workshop. Yeah, no, I'm thinking, (laughs) yes, you know, that would be... um, What if I get bored over there?
1: (laughs) Yeah, cousins are going to be there. They have workshops, but it's not my workshop.
0: Exactly, I'm not. uh, um, I'm not thinking. um, I'm not thinking that they would bring supplies because they thought they needed supplies. Like they're not going to bring money because they think they're going to need money when they get to the lonely isle. Or and I don't think that they're bringing like, you know, uh, chests full of. Changes of clothes and you know, dry goods I don't know. They might be wondering what like the that. third
1: age fashions are now.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, when I get to when I when I get to the Lonely Isle, I will have nothing to wear. Um, <laughs> oh,
1: you know, some lorded lady is doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. While well, the other ones are patiently explaining about beautiful raiments, and they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yes, but will they have a will the will the bodice be a V shape?
0: Yeah. Right, exactly. Exactly.
1: Because user uh, out.
0: Again, I do High think it would it, it's gotta vary, right? It's gotta vary by the elf uh as mm-hmm. to as to, to, to how much and of what sort uh it would um uh it would be. <laughs> but the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, yes, I think they pack. Maybe again, maybe some very likely. Maybe some much more heavily, but I think they pack. I don't think that, I think that the idea of them going, because they're not, they're not departing the world. Elves don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know that it's always so tempting to parallel as of course was very explicitly and indeed misleadingly done in the films paralleling the voyage from the gray havens to death but of course death is exactly what it isn't like for elves yeah elves don't depart arda they are relocating right they're changing their address and it's a as we've discussed in, you know, when we were looking at the other side stuff and the dwelling in the blessed realm, that's a big deal. Right. You know, there's there's a there's a very qualitative difference between living in Middle Earth and living in the blessed realm. I'm not trying to take anything away from that significance, but they're not leaving the world. Um, very different from mortal men's fates. Exactly. Exactly. So. <clears throat> It's like our
1: dwarven friend here is looking for ships on the horizon, which doesn't imply he's looking for a shipment coming in,
0: not out. Not one going out. Right now, of course, a ship coming in, an empty ship to take folks away would be, um, Mm -hmm. would be what, yeah. Luke points out that Gandalf did take his horse, Uh, which is true, which is true. That was a fun boat, right? Yeah. Yep. Nahor points out that Frodo took the file with him. The keepers of the three rings took their rings, you know? Yep. They did. They did. Yep. So yeah. Confirmed. Myth confirmed. You can pack. You can pack. You can make at least some stuff. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) again, although it's tempting to think about the death thing and, 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 as a parallel, right? And to think of it as like now I depart this world, I shall you know, I I brought nothing into this world, I shall take nothing out, right? It's tempting to kind of think of elves departing Middle-earth in that way, but there's in no the reason to think that they would have that they would have that kind of mentality about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Forththotless says that Shadowfax was a ring-bearer-bearer. Bearer. Wait, no, did he? Shadow... <laughs> No, he Facts carried, met frodo uh he carried Pippin, yeah yeah um, <laughs> um. well i i'm not sure a couple people are talking about uh, uh was asking about you know are are the three rings just jewelry by that point well, well i'm not sure definitely still
1: special jewelry at the very least
0: um yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure i'd use the word powerless um dwindled let's
1: use the elven word for dwindled
0: yeah they they're yeah um anyway yeah oh and it's true in carrying gandalf he he you know gandalf carried a carried oh yeah yeah yeah, bearer, yeah that's so right that kind of in ring. that sense yeah. he was a ring bearer bearer sure yeah no absolutely yeah. okay yeah that's got cool. it makes sense um <laughs> anyway yep i think elves pack um somebody was saying that there's no reference to a, a pack train with elrond uh and galadriel well no there wasn't Um, But he didn't say there wasn't one either. It was a pretty big procession that they meet. Uh, uh, Frodo and the description focuses on the people that are there and not, uh, you know, any pack train that there might be behind them. But they had to have had a pack train. I mean, they were riding across... I mean, the ride from Rivendell to the Grey Havens is substantial, right? So They had they,
1: delicious bread. Where did that come from? Exactly.
0: You know? <laughs> right. They, they would totally, absolutely need food and supplies for the journey at least. So they had to have had some kind of pack train, mm-hmm. which means a pack train existed. So who knows? Uh, and
1: remember, time. we're not at the Grey Havens yet. We're just at one of the ports of call.
0: Exactly. So. Are, this is this is even further out than this. Okay. Well, this there, is a long digression. There might digression. even be
1: supplies that are going south.
0: This is a long well. digression from the presence of a crane. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, that's as only we this, can. <laughs> if we start going one slide at a time per class and like one pier at a time in the harbor, we're going to be in Kellindim almost as long as we're going to be in Rivendell in the text. We'll have um, to cover
1: one cubic foot at a time.
0: <laughs> exactly. Is that a cat? Okay, that's a cat. Wondering. Yeah, oh. catching
1: harbor rats and mice and stuff.
0: There we go. That's good.
1: I love that
0: cat. Preventing the Black oh. Death, one rat right at a time. Okay. Elvin Elven rope. So I love the potted trees. Um I love the potted trees on the pier. This is this is lovely. This has to be like a departure platform, right? It's
1: a gazebo. Another elven gazebo. Yeah, well,
0: it's, it's half a like, gazebo. It's like yeah, it's like a an elvish demi gazebo. On the water, mm-hmm. right
1: this looks like the place where you stand and wave to the people who are leaving,
0: yeah, exactly, so I think the next pier over where the dwarf is going back and forth and where the crane is that's where merchant ships come in because mm-hmm. um, also the elves of Kel need to get supplies some from somewhere so that they would avail themselves of you know mm-hmm. merchant travel and plus again when we look at the when you look at the map the river loon is the largest river in this entire region I mean this is a major um It's got to be a major trade route, right?
1: Also, some of these elves are labeled fishermen, so there are boats coming in at it here every day.
0: There'll be that too, Um, exactly. Thunder and
1: lightning, inclement weather, all ashore.
0: Oh no! Is there is there glass? Trifle. You're right. Look up; you can see the the raindrops falling. There's glass in there.
1: No way. Oh, there is. Yeah,
0: you can see the raindrops <laughs> hitting. That's nice. Wow! Thanks for pointing that There's out. The that I wouldn't actually noticed
1: provide that. shelter, another elven rarity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway,
1: close close to the river. Have, they have to take on more weather.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, that's good. At least we're all standing under the So you see, we have this shipwreck from here. We have this. We have this glassed in departure spot. No, this is clearly, this is the, uh, this, this makes perfect sense of it. Right. Again, that, that pier is the merchant pier. This pier is the departing from loved ones pier. Hmm. This is the elves setting off for the gray havens pier. Is that a human in that boat?
1: Yep. says sailor. Uh, it's easier to get to his you boat from the sailor. other side,
0: guys. Are you trying to jump onto his boat? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you can right do here. it. Sometimes it um, takes a few guys.
0: And I was also looking at the buoys over there. I know. Um they're
1: kind of cute.
0: Yeah. Are they what are they for? Uh,
1: like I'm assuming letting us know when the weather gets too rough because there's a bell in it.
0: Okay, all right, so there, there's a bell on the top there. Okay.
1: The weight gets shaken too much, it means the water's too rough for right. one thing or another, and the bell stumps.
0: Okay. And uh, I, this close
1: to docks are kind of weird. You usually get them further off.
0: Yeah. Because right and,
1: now they need to uh, hit the bottom and scrape and stuff.
0: Is it for. Because there's another one up there. Are mm-hmm. they just in the middle of the river, like for navigational purposes? You know, Maybe like
1: I think we get a like a big line right of the them buoys? in front of the housing area, which is why, why yeah. we can't swim to the housing area.
0: Hmm. I'm looking up river there to see, because there's that tower which sort of looks like a lighthouse, but I don't think is. Mm. Maybe some magic is involved. Yeah. Okay, so we have what four total piers, um. Mm. That one is clearly the scene. What's this about? Oh, you can clearly see the rain striking the glass here. Um,
1: oh, it's some uh, kind of banner.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that? this is supposed to alert us where we're supposed to come see the uh, the Glade Watcher.
0: Oh, this is just the Warden Trainer here.
1: Uh, Glade Watchers over here. This is one of the first people you're supposed to speak to. Oh, there's one on the other side too. And Kate said, "Yeah, another one over here." Right. It just might be like a welcome to Kalanbin
0: kind of banner. Okay. Right. This one is a little one where. What what, what are these? There was one of these over there on the, the other one, too. These screens. I thought it was a fishing uh, net at first, but what is that? Why is there a net here?
1: Net here.
0: Safety net? Drying rack? Drying rack.
1: Bird protector.
0: <laughs> Seems a little limited for that. Goal. Hanging fish from? Yeah, you'd think we'd see yeah. some fish.
1: Uh, maybe this is where you're supposed to repair your net.
0: Ah, you. So it's just like a, a frame that you can connect your net to in order to in order to repair it. Yeah,
1: you, you hang it up to see the holes, and then you can weave it back in.
0: Right. Maybe. I could buy that. I could buy that. It does look like a fishing net. I mean, it's just cord
1: Mm -hmm. tied. It looks a bit like a permanent installation, but maybe, you know, that's just appearances.
0: Right. Okay, I can go with that. So, fishing. So, again, we have... The utility docks are mm-hmm. fishing related
1: oh, look at the stuff that's underwater. look how ornate that is just to be buried in water and rot away where look you can see if, if you look if stand where I'm standing and look into the water, you can see just how ornate all these uh, platforms, you know the little
0: oh the right. the, yeah the, the 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 what's the word ballards is that the word?
1: I'm actually at a loss
0: on that one. The Elvish Ballards. Yeah.
1: Piles. So there's more decoration. Piles. Oh, piles. Thank piles? you. Thank yes. you. Thank you.
0: Some of them are reflections. I wanted reflections. to say pylon, and
1: I knew that wasn't right.
0: Some of them are Some... reflections, but not all of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like these right. two right here and those two right there are not reflections.
1: lot of this is though and yeah it's it's fancier than the stuff above the water
0: pilings yeah yeah right um yeah it is it's very like the
1: yeah i think you have to have a uh, water or a certain setting of uh, certain water render setting turned off so you can see more clearly
0: yeah yeah um
1: I just find it interesting. And there's that little crest in the middle. It has like. Right. Some sort of decoration in the middle. I think it looks the same thing that's on the banners over here.
0: Right. And this is really just a design. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be representational.
1: No, it's definitely some sort of not work. Feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, and the the doco we skipped, I went right to that middle one for some reason. <laughs> this one over here. Right, this woman wants to spin us tails? Who is she? If you have time.
1: I'll...
0: I'll Skies are bright and clear. Is she just a a quest figure at some point?
1: I don't know. It hmm. does kind of sound like she's been, she's waiting here for something and wants to pass the time and entertainment. Right.
0: I like the barrel tops.
1: Yeah, me too. Does it look like uh, elvish or dwarvish barrels on that?
0: Elvish. I think they're elvish. Uh, um,
1: uh, e-glam- Eglamir. Because he's got accent standing here looking out at the waters Excuse
0: oh sorry I was looking at fishermen over there but that's obviously Oh,
1: Salvia says that the one asking to spin a tail is part of a minstrel quest
0: uh-huh.
1: that makes sense fish just have been biting for me today
0: okay so two both- fishermen Yeah, exactly. Both of these are named fishermen, so it's like, which of these things is not like the other? First of all, one of them is an elf. The other does appear to be human. Where are the men from? Good question. Bree, maybe? I guess they'd have to be. I guess they'd have to
1: be. Or maybe he just came here on a boat from somewhere. Maybe...
0: Okay, you the know? Bjorning bear, half submerged in the water, looked really strange there for a <laughs> Oh, he's going for a swim. Um, I guess there could be humans out here.
1: I think he could have come from like you know Dol Amroth or something. Even I don't know. Be hard to travel I that far. I think so,
0: water. but yeah, I would think it more likely that it's like some kind of... they missed the boat to Numenor. <laughs> Yeah, he's just been fishing here this whole time. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, he could be in disguise. Ranger incognito. Now he's got ginger hair, not black hair.
0: Right. But, you know, the elvish fisherman seems to be missing a little something.
1: Like a fishing pole and bait and tackle and clothes that could (laughs) be with sand water.
0: (laughs) For instance... He's just standing there with his hands behind his back like, I'm supervising. He's fishing and I'm supervising.
1: I'll let you know when you're getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thanks, Paul
0: Yeah. Yeah. They probably, these two have probably entered into an unequal business partnership here and they're fishing. Uh,
1: probably an Abbott and Costello routine in the making right here.
0: <laughs> and is, the, <laughs> yes. is this a very large coil of rope? Uh, something like that, or maybe or a, a woven basket? basket? I'm sorry,
1: I'm maybe it's so where it. his fish are going. Maybe there's, like, water and maybe, maybe Is that full of fish?
0: My goodness. In which case, maybe I, we should give more credit to the supervisor than uh, than I was thinking, because that's a lot of fish.
1: Or he's sitting on it, so uh, the other fisherman will know to mind his own business and get his own fish.
0: <laughs> it does look like an Ottoman toweth.
1: Well, I have to yeah, say, at
0: least the supervisor uh, is standing. Is if he were sitting and, and the other fisherman were, <laughs> were, Yeah, exactly. A crate and barrel option. If the, uh, if the redhead fisherman were standing and the other guy were sitting there watching him, I think it would be even worse. But uh,
1: No, it's just he looks so officious with his hands at uh, a post. You
0: exactly. Know? It's the hands posture that makes him look yes. yes, particularly questionable. It's a beautiful rowboat. I love the carving on the... Uh, the the blades of the oars yeah that it looks
1: like a leaf the yes, way the bow's though, curved.
0: not as not as leaf-like not as explicitly leaf-like as the the paddles to the lorean boats
1: mm-hmm.
0: but uh um but lovely lovely uh, uh carved paddles even the color of them is nice mm-hmm. I, I like the little hooked prow which is probably um functional though also decorative, right? It can probably be towed maybe by the prow of the little boat. Um, but uh, yeah,
1: it definitely looks like it maybe it could be hooked up in a train or something like that. Right. If you have several boats of this time, all like in a row, maybe they could like form some sort of hooked train or something. Yeah. Don't know what the advantage of that would be though.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: I know very little about boating. I am afraid of small boats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. Oh hi Bram. Good morning. Uh joining me from the Netherlands. Got to meet oh, him wow. over there at Nadermoot. That was great. Hello <laughs> It's always fun. Though like no offense, Bram, but I always know like when I'm when it's late enough that like the Europeans are waking up and joining me is kind of like one of the ways I know that it's probably time to stop. Not that I'm avoiding you or anything, but it's kind of a tip that maybe it's time I should think about stopping. Well, anyway, we looked at all four of the docks. So that was some serious progress here today. So I think next week we will (laughs) move away from the river and uh, look at the rest of the boy. The brain is really coming down. It is pouring here in Keldim today. Um, yep, bucketing but, uh,
1: down. Yeah,
0: so we will we'll we'll look at some of these other structures here around the hillside and see if we can make any sense of uh, uh, of the, the 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 terrain and the city here
1: the sea, Corey, it
0: calls to me i know well it was clearly calling us today as we spent the whole time out there here today but uh, uh <laughs> cool anyway all right thanks everybody thanks for uh your patience it's been a long time here this evening always fun uh to have everybody with us here as 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 usual uh and valori thanks of course for uh joining me in my field trip discussion always appreciate that
1: oh my pleasure
0: And uh, we'll see everybody. I should be back next week. No disruptions that I can foresee here. So I'll be gone the rest of this week. Um, This is my last broadcast this week, but next week we'll be back for exploring the Lord of the Rings and the rest of everything as usual next week. So thanks everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.